Hey guys, this is Doug Basham, and you are watching 55 Live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show here on the WZWA Network. This is our second recording of the day. It's been a long one, um, but very excited here tonight. Jack, how are you going? Uh, you know, it's been a bit of a long day. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a long day, but a great day. Um, you know, I was sort of doing the math earlier. We've actually, after this interview, we'll have seven in the can, which means I've got a long week ahead. Uh, a lot of <laughs> editing to do, but... Um, it's all exciting. You know, this is an exciting interview for me. This is someone that I've, uh, that I grew up watching and remember very vividly. And even though I was seven, eight, nine years old, I was a, I was a SmackDown guy through and through. So this is a, this is a special one for me. Yeah. And as we said earlier to Je today, Jack, uh, it's a special one for me because this is the first professional wrestler I ever got to meet in person. And just like when we interviewed Cracker Jack earlier, he was your first. So we're both uh, coming full circle here with that. And uh, it is my distinct honor and privilege to introduce former full-time OVW heavyweight champion, OVW Southern tag team champion and WWE tag team champion, he is the one and only Doug Basham. Doug, how are you going tonight? Good, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing oh, great, man. bro. That was two-time WWE Tag Team Champion. Two times, baby. Two <laughs> times. <laughs> we liked it so much the first one time we did it twice. <laughs> um, it's great to have you on the show, Doug. Really excited to uh, speak with you this morning. And um, as per usual, first question we always throw at everyone is how you first became a wrestling fan when you were a young man. I've been asked that question a lot, actually, and I don't know how I became a wrestling fan. It was just on the TV one morning. I think I was like three, three years old or something like that. And way back when, we're talking 45 years ago, I guess, because I'm 48 now. Uh, we only had like three channels. We could only get three channels. And uh, on one of those channels at noon uh, was... Uh, USWA or Championship Wrestling CWA, and it had uh, mid mid south wrestling with with the likes of Jerry Lawler and I don't know if anybody will know these names I'll throw them out there anyway. And Jerry Lawler, Bill Dundee, uh, Dirty Dutch Mantel, uh, Buddy Wayne, Sonny King, just all the guys back I, that I watched growing up, and then uh, I never missed it, and I can't remember the exact date because again I was only three years old. But I had this, uh, which I'm sure you guys did too. You probably had them wrestling buddies or a pillow or a teddy bear that you uh, wrestled with. Yeah. And my teddy bear, man, we never missed a day <laughs> from three years old on. Oh, wonderful. Um, Many matches with that teddy bear. <laughs> well, I, I hope the teddy bear got to go over a few times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and sorry, Jack, I totally stepped on your feet there. That was supposed to be your question. So over to you. Ah, don't even sweat it. <laughs> Um, so what was the uh, first thing you did when you left uh, high school or college? Was that sort of, um, was wrestling sort of something that was always on your radar pretty much since you were three? Like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is going to be it. Um, so what was the first thing you did when you left high school or college? Well, it's a very interesting you asked that question there because um, when I was watching growing up through high school, 16, 17, 18, 19, well, eight, 16 through 19, 18, sorry. 
Um, the USWA would always have a commercial during their show saying, if you want to be a professional wrestler, come to our wrestling school at uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm like, Nashville, that's, and I live, uh, I don't know if you guys know the States very well, but Nashville is about like a two and a half, three hour drive from where I live. And I'm like, I can't go down there. That's too far. So I just kind of, every time that commercial came on, I always got that, oh, I'd love to do that. Oh, I want to do that. But I never did. So there's no wrestling school that I knew of that was close by where I lived. So um, what I wanted to be and aspire to be after that, um, when I went to college, I went to Indiana University in my home state that I lived in, Indiana, and I wanted to be a doctor. So I was pursuing pre-med, and uh, it was not easy. <laughs> not easy at all. And then um, I was about three years in, and my aunt married Nightmare Danny Davis. So he became my uncle when I was... 20, I guess, 18, 19, 20, about 20 years old. And um, he opened a wrestling school in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, which was just 20 minutes away from my hometown where I lived. And then uh, I, I met Danny before he opened that school. I met Danny at Christmas, um, one Christmas when they first got, when they were first dating before they actually got married. And then I don't know if anybody will remember these guys. You can look them up, Google the Nightmares, Nightmare Danny Davis and Ken Wayne. Well, growing up, they were like one of my favorite tag teams because they were small and I was small and they were, they, you know, wore masks and I thought that was cool. Yeah. And uh, I was just a big fan. So when I met him, I was like starstruck. I was like, you know, like, oh my, hello. And he's like, he was so polite and nice and everything and jacked up. And then when he uh, opened a wrestling school, I had transferred from Indiana University down to like a uh, satellite college Um Indiana University Southeast. So I was going there and so I could work and stuff. And then he opened his school and I, I went to his, I was working at a hospital actually there in Louisville, Kentucky. I was working in the um, operating area. I was kind of like a gopher. They'd call in this room. Hey, I need suture. Hey, I need a hammer. Hey, I need nails, whatever they needed for surgery. Um, don't know what surgery needs nails, but so he had, he had his school uh, pretty close to the hospital. And I asked if I could come over there and, and he said, yeah, come on over. And I just want to check it out. And then he said, I had, uh, I had some, I brought sweatpants now that you've got to always be prepared. So I always was. So I had sweatpants and uh, shoes and t-shirt and took my scrubs off, put that on, got in a ring and run, ran around a little bit. And uh, that was, that was how it started. <laughs> Wow, man. And now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's so crazy. At 20 years old. I was 20 years old. What a, what a, how convenient is that that uh, your aunt just marries uh, <laughs> the nightmare? And it's just I mean, like, you know, and you've, you've, you've seen this ad over and over, and every time you must be like, shit, man, like just one day, like I just want to do it. And then conveniently, a couple of years later, so he's, you, you got someone who owns a wrestling school in your family. It's, it's awesome, man. It, it um, was like it was meant. It was meant to be, man. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I was like this is perfect. And I was his first student. So how was um how was training under uh, Danny Davis for you? What was the experience like there? It was it was good. It was good. He took care of me. Um, and because I was his 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 newly <laughs> newly nephew, um, but he he did expect a lot of me. So I, he was a little harder on me because. Um, he told me after I was training for a, a while, he told me that um, he hadn't seen somebody. Come, I don't know if he was just saying this because I was his nephew or if it was actually true. 
now, I think it was actually true. He was telling me this. He said he hadn't seen anybody in a long, long time that came along and started training that was a natural. He said, I just took to it like a duck to water. He goes, you're a natural kid. You're going to make it. And he said, I, I see that. So he goes, after, you know, you had your career and you're retired and all that, you just remember what I said. I never forgot that. So that's what he said. Uh, here it is. I'm telling you guys that. <laughs> and it's stuck with you. Awesome, man. Back to you, Carl. Um, Doug, uh, everyone always has their story of, of their first match that they ever had. Uh, what was the story of your first match? Oh, my God. <laughs> I was about, tr I was trained and I was, I only been training for about, eight months and you know so i was still green i was still horrible you know yeah so there were these two students that that came in and started training under danny and they uh they, they were more advanced they were run, doing sh running shows and they were already wrestling but they came to danny to get uh more training and and tighten up their skill and learn more of the psychology and everything about wrestling so they got in there and worked with me and they had been talking to Danny. Is there anybody here who's ready? We, you know, we got, we run, we go and do these shows in a little town called Central City, Kentucky. And um, it's, it's, I mean, small. Uh, it was an old abandoned garage or a body shop that had been turned around. They put a ring in the middle and they put some uh, bleachers on the sides and it was a wrestling arena. Dirty, you know, uh, gritty. I mean, we're talking a great place to first to start wrestling because. The fans down there, they believed it. It was real, and you could do anything, and they would pop. Um, so uh, they, they went down as this mask tag team that they were working on, and then they put me under a mask and called me, how ironically, a Texas hangman. <laughs> I, had a mask, <laughs> I had a mask on. I wore blue jeans and a flannel shirt. And I was so nervous when I got in there, the only thing I could remember how to do was a headbutt. <laughs> and I mean, my headbutts were real that night. Oh, <laughs> I got in, headbutted the, one of the guys, and he goes, oh, my God, tag out, tag out, tag out now. <laughs> I couldn't remember how to do anything. That was my first memory. That's, all. that's great. Uh, that's good stuff. Um, and it was that way from there. <laughs> Only one way to go. Um, you went to yeah, right. <laughs> you went to the USWA in 1994. Uh, a lot of people we've had on the show at some point went through Memphis. Um, what did you learn there the most, and how was that experience? That was my very first job, and actually, um, you remember I was going to college to be a doctor, and then I had an opportunity to my very first job, my very first experience with wrestling was with uswa danny kind of helped me uh, get that set up a little bit and i had to make a choice do i want to wrestle or do i want to continue school and go be a doctor well we know which way i went yeah and uh i had that conversation with my dad and it was yeah. not a good conversation it was <laughs> bad 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 but anyway um he was super proud of me now after pursuing the, doing what i did pursuing a career and, and going getting as far as i did but um, back to your question, USWA, um, here I was 21, I was 21, 22 years old. I think this was, what, 90, it was 93 or 94? I think it was 93, wasn't it? 93 or 94? Yeah. Can't remember, somewhere around there. So I was uh, 22, 23 years old. 
I mean, we're talking six foot two, a hundred and nothing, <laughs> soaking wet. I mean, I'm talking scrawny. Uh, I look like uh, uh, Carl. I look like you. <laughs> no offense in that picture. In that picture. Oh yeah, yeah. That's about that's about how big I was. Um, but anyway, man, uh, it was it was a great experience for me because I got to ride up and down the road. Um, a lot of the veterans would ride with the young guys and one you know get free rides obviously because the young guys would drive and use your car and take them everywhere and while you're doing that you you talk and get uh experience and knowledge from these guys so uh, i rode up down the road with uh a lot with uh, nature boy buddy landale he taught me a lot about cutting promos and i got a story i'll tell you about buddy landale too he taught me how to chop also Wrote up down the row with uh, Dream Machine, Troy Graham. You know, I don't know if any of these names, if anybody remembers any of these names. Um, Tommy Wildfire, Tommy Rich, PG-13. Um, <laughs> and th those are the main, main people that I would ride with because I lived, I lived in Louisville, Kentucky area. And uh, Memphis, Tennessee was where they shot TVs. And like on a, on a Friday night or on a, a Monday, Monday night, you'd, I'd be in Louisville. I had to drive all the way to Memphis, Tennessee for uh, Memphis Coliseum Monday night. That's when they had their big shows. And then uh, Tuesday, you drive back to Louisville and for the Louisville Gardens. And then Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you'd have house shows. And then Saturday morning, you drive all the way back to Memphis, Tennessee for, for TV taping on uh, Sunday, Saturday mornings live. And then you'd go to Nashville, Tennessee Saturday night for uh, a show at the National Coliseum. That was that loop. So I got a got a lot of experience riding around with a lot of those veterans, and I got to work with all kinds of people. Even even uh, worked with Sid Vicious. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, dear. YouTube that one. <laughs> uh, a story about Buddy Landell. I rode with I rode with him a lot, and. He, uh, I was wanting to learn how to chop because uh, I watched the chops in the chest, you know. So there was a battle royal in Louisville, Kentucky. <clears throat> During the battle royal, he goes, hey, kid, come find me in the battle royal. I'll show you how to chop. So okay. So I went. When the battle royal was going on, I grabbed him and said, hey, hey buddy. And he popped me and goes, get in the corner. So he threw me in the corner. Boom. He threw a chop. Pow. I go, ooh, why did I ask for this? <laughs> so he threw, threw a chop on me. And I was like, oh, he goes, here, let me do it. Let me show you again so you can get it. I'm like, okay. So he threw my arm over. He chopped me again. I was like, oh, 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 oh my God. Why did I do this? And he goes, one more. Third, third time's a charm. Shapop. He goes, okay, now poke me in the eye, turn me around, and give me one. I said, all right. So I poked him in the eye, turned him around, and got him lined up, threw his arm over the top rope, and got ready to throw the chop. He poked me in the eye, turned me around, chopped me again. So you got it, kid. <laughs> you got it, kid. Awesome. <laughs> what a rip. I got ribbed. But I, I learned. Fantastic. I learned two things there. <laughs> awesome, man. Um, so uh, transitioning from the USWA uh, in 1996 is when you first uh, went to Ohio Valley Wrestling, um, just from what my research tells me. Um, so how did uh, that come about? And uh, was was Danny Davis uh, in charge at that point? Yeah, Danny Davis. He he, he was always in charge up to. I'm not for sure when he. Um, sold the company, I think, to Al Snow, yeah. which is where I'm, I'm at now with Al. Um, yeah, Danny, he, it started out as the uh, Nightmare Danny Davis School of Professional Wrestling. And then he had this this idea and this dream of wanting to uh, create Ohio Valley Wrestling, OVW, and then 
have shows and have TV. So um, from from 20 years old until I went to the WWE, signed my developmental WWE and actually moved up, I, I was with Ohio Valley and Danny the whole time. Always continued my training, always went to classes, always doing house shows that he would have. And then when he eventually started the TV, obviously, you know, became, I guess, one of the uh, center, center, I guess, uh, focal, one of the main stars for Ohio Valley Wrestling TV. Yeah. While I was continuing to, you know, work on my body because I knew I had to get bigger. The USWA was a, an eye-opening experience for me. I was little. I was too small. I got the, I got the job because I was Danny's nephew. We'll just go ahead and say it. But it, it helped get me some experience, a little bit of exposure. And then <laughs> they said, thanks, go get bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Over to you, Jack. Um, so you've already sort of told us a fair bit about uh, the Nightmare Danny Davis. But do you have a sort of a funny story about him? Oh, man. Funny story about Danny. I, gotta, I don't know if it's funny, but um, I remember the first time I actually wrestled Danny. Yeah, sure. um, I was nervous. He's my uncle, and he's a big-time superstar. Yeah. And it was uh, in the very first uh, Ohio Valley Danny Davis school. But it's the, the second spot he had. It wasn't really big. It was just a, big enough to have a ring in it. And you could hit the ropes and touch, almost touch the sides. And the back had like this backdrop. And then it just had people on one side. So we were running the show, and uh, Danny, I, I was wrestling Danny out of it. was just because it was like uh, uncle against, you know, family against family. That's how it was built and booked, you know. And we were out there working, and Danny was calling stuff, and I could, he would call, let's just say he would say arm drag, and I would try to go for hip toss. It was horrible, horrible. <laughs> and here's the funny part he shot me in, did something, and said, Please take an arm drag. <laughs> he was, Please do it right this time. Is basically what he was telling me. <laughs> so that's that's a funny story with Danny in the ring. And, uh, another story: the first time I rode with him, which shocked me because he he used to always when he and my aunt got together, he was Jack, right? And I was always wanting to know, hey, could you give me a diet? I need to get bigger and all this, and I need to know what to eat and how to how to work out and stuff. He goes, okay, yeah, you ride with me to the show, and I'll talk to you and. and you know, I'll show you what to get and what to do. And I, I guess he was, I thought he was ribbing me, but the only thing we ate, he had like, you know, protein shakes and stuff like that and get one for me and this is how you do it. And you drink this and this is what I do. And then on the way home, he stopped and he got a, uh, a he stopped at Burger King and he got a, a, a Whopper with cheese and fries and a, a whatever to drink. And he goes, and you always end your night like this. I'm like, what? Fast food? You need to have fast food? Uh, I started doing that for a while. And then, you know, every night I would, I would have Burger King. I didn't know. I thought if I ate Burger King, I'd look like him. And I'm like, went to him, you know, a couple months later. I said, Danny, I don't know if this, I don't know if this Burger King every night is working. It's just, I don't feel like I'm getting lean. And he's like, no, you idiot. It's a treat. You do it once a week. <laughs> now you tell me. Anyway, <laughs> that's about that's my funny stories. <laughs> Funnily enough, the um, next thing I was going to say was, uh, what was the what's something you learned most from him? But I mean, it kind of sounds, you know, the Burger King story sounds like it's probably something you might have learned the most from him. But uh, what is a serious <laughs> lesson that you did learn the, uh, the most from Danny Davis? 
me how to work um, and how to how to conduct myself uh, inside the ring, outside the ring, um, and just psychology, how to tell a story in the ring in five minutes, which is hard to do. But if you're trained right and you know what you're doing, you can do it. That's the main thing. I, I owe him my I owe him everything because he taught me everything. Yeah. Like my, so my, and, well, you know, a couple others, Jim Cornette, obviously I, I owe a lot to Jim Cornette and another individual by the name of Rip Rogers. I don't know if you guys know who that guy is. <laughs> I definitely I, know. I, I know. I owe him a lot too. He, he, uh, had a, played a pretty big part in teaching me, uh, the psychology of, uh, wrestling, you know, I think what you want about Rip Rogers, but the guy, he knows his business. He knows how to train people too. <laughs> he certainly does. I actually, uh, interviewed him, uh friday night uh and really i i'll i'll just tell tell you what happened um so i had organized this a couple of weeks prior with him and um uh i had informed him that i was calling him on my computer so it might say private number or something like that because uh, if i call on my phone i won't be able to record it i had to do it on skype so i tried to call him it was one in the morning my time uh so midday for him and he didn't answer. And then he messaged me on Twitter saying, uh, it's saying that it's a risk spam call. You know, don't you fuck me on this. Are you, are you trying to fuck me on this? And uh, <laughs> I'm like, sir, I promise you, I'm not trying to mess with you. I, I, it's just, this is what happens when you call from a computer to a, a phone that's not used to getting a call from, like a computer from Australia, right? So he said, whatever, just make the damn call. So I called a, a second time. He answered and I got chewed out for like two minutes straight. And he, a promo. My favorite. I mean, I almost laugh because I'm like kind of popping that Rip Rogers is, is just reading me the riot act. He says, uh, if you fuck me on this, I swear to God, I'll find out where you live and I'll fucking come and cut your dick off. <laughs> and then he rip. said, I'll start the damn interview. And then I just went, welcome to the WCWA network podcast. And, pretended nothing had happened and we had a very nice chat for an hour so oh, that, that's rip that's awesome that's, that's rip. <laughs> classic rip oh dude it's uh yeah he, he's he's hilarious man he really is because um, he's funny and uh he, he know he knows a wrestling business man <laughs> uh, sorry to, sorry to hijack you there but jack uh back to you yeah um so obviously coming up through that time uh, as you said before uh, the reason you essentially had the job was because of danny davis but was there anyone in the locker room at the time that you connected with the most and was able to sort of have your back? Are you talking about in my earlier days or yeah, sorry, later? In your earlier days. Earlier yeah. days. Yeah. Uh, well, I think because um, I was Danny Davis's nephew, a lot of the guys uh, would look out for me and, and you know, because kind of like family. Yeah. And um, so there really wasn't any one person that um, would – but I mean, Buddy Landale, I mean, rode up and down the road with him, even though he was using me for a ride. I didn't care. I was getting knowledge. Of, I was getting valuable experience from him. But he would kind of look out for me a little bit when riding up and down the road and talking. And he would say, hey, you know, when you're doing this, you need to not, uh, you, you need to just shut your mouth and just listen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah, if somebody's trying to tell you something, just shut, shut, shut the F up and listen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Got it. Got it. Um, there, was, there was one instance um, where... Uh, it was one Tuesday night, and um, Louisville Gardens 
there was this battle royal. And this was back when Sid Vicious was in, in Memphis, Tennessee, just before he went to go be Sid, uh, uh, Sid Justice, I think, up in the WWE. Yeah. Um, he came to Louisville to work with Lawler and, I guess, uh, home, I don't know, get ring condition. I don't know what, just work on his work, I guess. I don't know. Or WWE yeah. wanted to go there first just to get uh, get things up to par. So, and when Sid was there, the houses were, I mean, they were, they jumped up. People wanted to come see this monster because uh, he was just a specimen to look at. And so there was one Tuesday night and here I am. He's, he was 308. I remember this. He was 318 pounds, uh, six foot nine, I think six foot eight, something like that. Seven, eight, nine. And I'm six, two. And I was weighing in about a buck buck 80 buck 75 i don't know he outweighed me about over over 100 pounds and or same, yeah and then the winner of the battle royal got a shot and this was when he was a champion he beat lawler and he was he was a champion in, at the usw at the time so the winner of the battle royal gets a shot at the title gets a title shot that night so somebody thought it would be a great idea if the hometown kid gets the title shot so i win the battle royal and i'm like Oh my God, this is going to be bad. Here we are. But then I was like, you know, no, no, not really. Because, you know, it's, you know, we all know how wrestling is. Okay, so I'll I'll be fine. I'll be fine. So I win. Crowd goes ballistic for the hometown guy because little Kentucky was supposed to be my hometown, even though I live in Indiana. They didn't need to know that. So I'm sitting there. I'm the only one in the ring. I'm in the middle, raise my hand. Sid's music plays. He's walking down, walking down the aisle. And I'm going, my God, he's impressive. That's a big, big man. So he walks down, he gets in the ring, and he grabs a microphone, and he cuts a little promo and goes to congratulate me. Congratulations, you know, you're a young kid. wants to be a red. want to be a superstar. Now you know what? You want to be the man. You've got to beat the man. He stuck his hand out. Shake my hand, kid. So I went to go shake it. Of course, you know, you did a thing. Should I shake his hand? Should I shake his hand? Okay. I went to shake my hand. He slapped me in the side, upside of the head so hard, I saw stars, and I, I didn't know what was going on. I went, what? What did I, did I say something wrong? <laughs> and that match, it only lasted about three or four minutes. He beat the living hell out of me. He bit me over when I was bent over like that. He football punted me, uh, American football punted me. In the stomach, so hard I almost puked. He did it about four or five times. I mean, and then he would he would club me on the back, and I thought he was gonna break my spine. And then when he his finisher was the power bomb, right? <laughs> he picked me up, and again, three hundred eighteen pounds, big dude, one hundred and seventy five pounds, wet. He didn't just power bomb me. He turbocharged. Put everything he had into it. Yeah, he threw me down so hard. I thought I was going through the mat. I hit my head on the mat. I was out cold. And back then, the referee was the old wrestler named the Angel. He come Frank Morrell. He comes over and goes, "Kid, you okay?" And I, 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 I was I was glossy eyed. And he, he goes, "Oh, we got. He's hurt. (laughs) We need some assistance down here." So I was not. I mean, I was out. It took me. A little bit to get out of the ring so i go finally get out of the ring get to the back and everybody's gone because i obviously i've always always told you thank you sir so that was tuesday night and i 
don't know if I had a concussion or whatnot. I don't know. I didn't go to the doctor. I didn't have insurance. Who cared? So Saturday was TV, right? So I get to uh, Memphis, Tennessee at the, T, at the arena or the uh, TV studio and Randy Hales, who was the booker, comes up. Hey, I heard you had a good match uh, Tuesday night with Sid. I was, yes, yes, it was great. <laughs> Remember Buddy Landell? You disagree with everything. Don't say no, don't complain, nothing. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Because well, I heard it was so good. We're going to put you on TV with Sid tonight, or Sid this morning. I went, I almost, I almost shit my pants is what happened. I'm like, oh, no. I was nervous. My stomach was ate up. I was nervous. I was sweating bullets the whole time. And I got to go out and cut a promo. That's actually, you can YouTube that match on, uh, you can YouTube it. I've got it in my archive. It's, I watch it over and over again. So I'm thinking, I am going to get, I'm going to get beat up again. I, I just, it's over. I'm, I'm done. I'm probably not going to make this one. So we go out there and I don't know, I'm probably giving up some of the secrets of pro wrestling, but I don't care. I'm retired. We went out there and I was expecting just to get my ass handed to me. Yeah. We go out there. I cut my promo, Sid standing up here by Lance Russell and I'm cutting my promo and he goes, go on kid, go on. And he's like, sometimes you just got to teach somebody a lesson. <laughs> I heard that and I'm like, I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> okay, come on. Here we go. So we get in there, and the guy took care of me. Never, I didn't feel anything. Everything, if you it look, when you watch it, it looked like he just, looked like he killed me. Straight up professional. Straight up professional. That story, because I got another story to tell you about Sid. When he was asking if anybody overlooked, you know, oversaw, looked, helped you out. Yeah. So... Um, you, I guess a few months went by or whatever, and Sid had moved up. And then there was, this is back when, I can't remember what year it was, the Undertaker had these creatures of the night that were sitting in the crowd, the two people that were dressed in black um, with pale face. 95. When he was working, 95, when yeah. he was wrestling, uh, working with Kama, I think, uh, the, the godfather now. Yeah. Yeah. So he had, he had these two people that were sitting in the crowd, and that was me and, and some other girl. We'd sit there, and we're supposed to be two fans of The Undertaker, and the storyline goes, he has his fans in a wreath, and Kamo was supposed to come out and destroy the two people and just get heat. So when I, I was there for that, um, the second time I went up there to do this on TV, um, I was walking down the hall, and you, you see Sid. He was walking down the hall, too. He looks up and he goes, hey, Doug Basham, hey, man, how you doing? He come and... And I was like, Ooh. as soon as I saw him, I got nervous, right? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, but he comes up and gives me a hug. He says, how you doing, kid? Hey, come here. I want to introduce you to some people. So he took me and introduced me to some uh, agents and stuff like that, people there. And again, I'm 175, 180 pounds wet, right? I'm a small guy. They, they didn't know I was a wrestler. They thought I was an actor. But uh, Sid's introducing me to these agents and all that and going, man, I'll tell you what. Keep your eye on this kid. He, he's going to make it. Keep your eye on him. Don't forget this name. Don't forget him. And he introduced me to... Uh, some of the people out there and then small talk with me a little bit and said, you know, good luck, man. Good seeing you and walked off. So Sid ended up being the most scary man to me in the world to uh, one of the guys that put me over with the agents and some of the guys up here in WWE. And I guess maybe some of them kept, kept me under the, on the radar. <laughs> so I made it. <laughs> wow. That's my Sid Vicious story. Did, do you think he uh, he laid the beat down on you the first time to test you? Yeah, or, I think it was, it was initiation. Right, okay. And once he knew that you were uh, man enough to take the beating and come back a second time and not complain about it. Absolutely. You're, you're that was it. In his book. Wow. Yep. 
didn't complain, didn't say nothing, just went on with it. I told uh, Uncle Danny, I said, he beat the living hell out of me. He goes, good. <laughs> good. <laughs> good about that. He goes, did, goes did, are you hurt? No, it's okay. <laughs> I went, so I, that's my initiation. Okay, I got it. I got it. I'm over with Sid now, I guess. Which I was. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, um, show one day. Yeah, well, I'm hopeful that we'll get him sometime. I, I know that we're, I'm talking to his, the guy that runs his podcast at the moment. Um, so I wanted to fast forward a little bit to 1998, July 5th. You won the OVW heavyweight title for the first time. Uh, and it appears that you worked a lot uh, or worked a little bit with Rip Rogers around that time as well. Um, yeah. How did it feel to be given this spot as, you know, the guy that's now, you know, the top guy in OVW? Well, uh, there was a little bit of time there that I, I, I took off from OVW and I took some time away from uh, OVW and rest of the work on my body to do what I need to do, get bigger. Because uh, I think this was a time when um, OVW had the developmental territory come in with uh, Jim Cornette. Yep. And I saw all these guys coming in and all this talent coming in. And um, at the, I had gotten, I had an opportunity either to try to keep wrestling and star or go to work at this Ford motor company factory and make a little bunny, bit of money while I be a weekend warrior and hone my skills then. So obviously I, I had to take the job because you got to make money. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you heard the term fake it till you make it, I guess. So, and at Ford, there was a first shift and a second shift and I was new in the company. So I was on second shift. I wasn't able to make OVW TV, um, but I would oh. come to the class, come to classes on the, on the weekend Sundays and train still when Rip was there and others. So um, I had, I may be answering a future question you guys already have, but I, uh, Ford and Jim Cornette was trying to get me to come be on TV, be like, you got to switch, switch shifts, get on TV. I want to have you on TV, yada, yada, yada. And um, there was a Ford Motor Company had developed a third shift, because a, a crew, B crew, and a C crew. And C crew was like a swing shift on the weekends. You had two mornings and two nights. It was rough, but it allowed me to be free through the week to do TV. And also at nights, Friday and Saturday nights to do house shows. So, um, when I knew this was coming, I had this idea of how I wanted to, to come in and introduce myself. And Jim Cornette had this idea and he threw it at me. And I watched the movie Eight Millimeter with Nicolas Cage. And there was this character in there called Machine, wore the mask yeah. that would slice and dice all the, all the girls in there and kill them. Yeah. And I was like, that's me that's who we need in OVW because nobody knows who he is. You know, when he uncovered him, everyone like, it's you. Oh man. So that was kind of the storyline that Jimmy was wanting to follow. And I uh, brought that idea to Jimmy. He loved it. I went out and developed the character and then I, I got in there with OVW and then the storyline went. I was trying to undermine Danny, take over the company, take out all his top talent. I was jealous of Nick Dinsmore because I, he, you know, <laughs> I was like, Nick Dinsmore, he wanted Nick Dinsmore to be his son and not me <laughs> or his nephew and not me. And yeah. of course I was mad and jealous. And then I just uh, tried to wreak havoc and became champion. And uh, that's kind of how all that developed. If that was the answer to your question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I was just, uh, you know, um, I, I had read, I mean, I haven't had the chance to see any footage, but I had read about that storyline and I thought it sounded like really interesting. Um, especially working with your uncle and, um, 
yeah. And so, yeah, I guess that led to you becoming the OVW heavyweight champion. Um, you know, how did that feel to, to be given that spot? Was that? Oh, it's, it's always good when a company uh, would, would uh, put all the weight of the company on your shoulders and, you know, you're the champion. They want you to be their champion. You got to uh, represent, I guess, the company and represent the, you know, in the storyline that they're putting you in. So it's always good whenever a company puts the straps on you. It means they're giving you a shot and giving you a chance and you see if you can run with it. Yeah. Um, so I, I also read that uh, as Machine, that the storyline uh, kind of concluded with uh, a retirement versus mass match against Nick. Uh, at the last dance on June 27, 2001. So it's quite some time that that uh, story went for. Um, tell us a little bit about that and the, the, the final match. Uh, it, it was a final match as the masked machine because uh, they built it up and it was, a, I think it was a big show at the Louisville Gardens and where it was a big venue. And they brought in some WWE stars to be on the show and all on the uh, show as well to help build the card or to help build the, the, the crowd, which it was so sold out. There were so many people there and the storyline was keyed up as a career against mask. And of course I knew I wasn't going anywhere and the mask was going to finally come off because it was, it was, uh, we did a pretty good job of hiding my identity because when people saw me before I was a skinny, right. <laughs> small, skinny guy. And when I came back, I mean, I was, I was jacked. I put on some, I put on a lot of weight. Nobody didn't know that's not Doug because, or nobody knew who it was. And I wore the mask all the time and kept my identity secret. So nobody knew, nobody knew who I was. So whenever the, it was the most awesome feeling was when we were in there and Nick beat me and I had to unmask and everybody was, it's like everybody was on the edge of the seat. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Yeah. And did the slow reveal and pap. Oh no, it's Doug Basham. I'm standing there. Everybody, everybody was like, what? No. Because <laughs> I used to be a likable, good guy, you know. Yeah. Uh, baby face back then. And then I turned heel. And then it all made sense. And then uh, got my heat, man. Got, got some good heat. <laughs> awesome. It sounds so fucking like dramatic and, and just, <laughs> just brilliant, man. Like, just... It was, man. That storyline. Even after I was unmasked, I was still the machine, Doug Basham, but I was unmasked, obviously, uh, was probably the best work that I had been a part of, even even in my WWE days, the storyline, because it was so long. It was such a soap opera. It, it was good, man. It was well-written by Jimmy. Awesome. And well-performed by me. <laughs> <laughs> I just, um, want to, just want to chime in here, Carl. Yeah, go for it, man. Is this the same OVW show that's uh, sort of got some clips on the network where it's got sort of like, uh, I think it's Edge and Christian, I think Kane and Undertaker were maybe on the show as well from memory. Um, I know there's some very old, and I think they have fan cam clips as well on the WWE network of um, some old indie shows, but it's got some like, and it's from 2001, so the same time period. I'm just wondering if that's from the same show as like, um, as from when where these clips are from i know that uh, it's got edge and christian do you, do you know what i'm talking about carl um i know that like anytime ovw did those big shows whether whether this is the show that you're talking about or not that you know those 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 big stars would always come in um so maybe it was this time but maybe those clips are from other times because i think it happens se that, several times either way i, I remember if 
that show you're talking about, if Stone Cold Steve Austin was there for that one, oh, or, or I think Kane, Kane, come down mm-hmm. and, and worked, wrestled with Leviathan, which is Dave Batista. Yeah, and that's, that's a, the show. That's the show. Yeah, okay. I think that's, that's the, the one. one yeah. Of. Yeah. Ah, cool. The Batista character's ringing a bell. The one with these old uh, with the chain around his neck and everything. It's all <laughs> yeah, going how awesome was that, man? Um, awesome. He was a he was a specimen, man. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I also uh, was watching some footage earlier about a, a group you had called the Revolution, which had various members. Um, I couldn't really locate who exactly was in the group. I think Muhammad Hassan, uh, uh, John Morrison were also a part of it, possibly. Um, but Victoria, a few others. Um, and then there was this, the segment that I watched was, um, I think you and Danny were uh, face-to-face with Jim Ross and Jim Cornette, and you called out Brock Lesnar, and then Benoit was... <laughs> Lesnar's replacement for the match later on and the crowd were hot and I was like man these guys are really good on the microphone I wish they let them talk in the WWE um tell me a little bit about the revolution and and that run that that group had well that was um that was you're talking about the in 2001 or 2002 era I think maybe 2003 too just before I, I moved up me and Danny moved up um and actually that match you're talking about was when Jim Ross was there was what actually got me. Oh, really? Got us moved up, yeah, because I worked with Chris Benoit, and that was the first time I'd ever been in a ring with Chris Benoit, who you know was one of my actually one of my idols. You know, I wanted to yeah. be as physical and as aggressive as him and stuff like that. Um, so that was like a dream come true for me to work with him. And then, um, but having it was who was in the revolution that day? It was uh, me and Danny. Um, was it Nikita? blonde I had the blonde Nikita was with me on yeah. at that time I think Jackie Gator Jackie Gator was with yeah and uh, Victoria and, was in the ring with you guys I'm not sure if there was anyone else there. oh yeah no, no, it was. that's right that's right Victoria yeah it was Victoria it was that was before Nikita before Victoria okay. she was she, she was on the road full-time up there so they were, we were working her way out of it so she could not come working her way out off the TV show that's right because I remember I threw her in the ring uh, to distract to get the heat um, and there was a guy, we called him, he was a guy, local guy named Smooth Johnny Spade. That's who the guy oh, was. All right, yeah, yeah. He was, he was like our, we, we called him the Gimp. <laughs> like uh, um, Pulp Fiction. All <clears throat> oh, right, yeah, out, yeah. Break out the Gimp. <laughs> <laughs> we had talked about dressing him up in a full leather body suit, but he said, no, I'm not doing that. It's okay. Um, so, you know, and the revolution had people coming in and out um, all the time whenever we had to replace yeah. people and we, there would be a storyline that would, move one person out, move another one in. Um, and uh, what was the question again? I got went on a ramble here. Sorry. Oh, it was just, just tell me about the run that the group had and, and uh, your favorite memories of it. Oh God. Um, I don't know if I can pick out one favorite memory at all because it was all so fun. And every time we'd come to TV, Jimmy would have it written out for us. And it, it was so well written. It was in stages and everything, every TV, meant something because it worked its way up to tell an end, end result of end story to a final uh, big Louisville Gardens pay-per-view uh, not a pay-per-view but it would be like a pay-per-view the, yeah. our big event um, and being able to being able to work being the revolution I, I, I thought we were like the main uh, faction in OVW because there was also Boland services that yeah. but I, I and then they had the uh, uh, the group with uh, Leviathan and uh, what were they called? The Sup of Pain or whatever. Can't even remember. 
but you know, <laughs> Jimmy liked having those factions in there. I thought we were the main one. We had, I felt like we had the main storyline with Danny Davis and all that, and always trying to undermine. But getting to work with um, a lot of the talent that come through that are now that were, were not now. I think they're some a lot of retired stars was probably the best best part that I like uh, remember about being uh, in the revolution because we were the main. I say we were the main storyline. You know, working with uh, Chris Benoit, working with Rhino, working with some of the guys that would come through that were yeah. injured and re that had had neck surgeries and injured. You know, uh, Danny and Jimmy trusted me enough, or I'll just go ahead and say it, the most, to work with these guys and not hurt them. Yeah. yeah. Re-injure them. And I believe uh, the group Batista was in was called the Disciples of Sin. That's it. Yes. That's it. Um, and uh, before I throw it back over to Jack, um, I did want to ask you a little bit about like the, the end of that group. Uh, I believe you had, I think maybe you had a match with Danny. Uh, and after the match, the revolution attacked you. And then Danny made the save for you. Um, so that, that's, you know, I guess that's probably the, one of the final moments you had in OVW before you were called up or... Yeah, that was it. Um, Danny and I had already been called up, and so we were still doing OVW TV. And Jimmy, uh, this man, if you, you ever get Jimmy Cornette on your show, he can tell you a story. He's, oh, it's so funny. He's, he, he can go on and on and on and on, man. He's, he's awesome. But uh, OVW, or see, um, WWE had put me and Danny together as the Basham brothers. And we, Jimmy had already, we had this feud going on down in OVW where we were fighting each other. So it's like the WWE totally screwed Jimmy by having yeah. their top heel and their top baby face, were, you know, <laughs> wrestling each other. And then they made us brothers up there. So he had to come up with a creative idea to make it work. And so this is, this, that's kind of what he did. And the, the whole thing was I was, I was moved up. I had lived, I had moved to Florida, Tampa, Florida. So I, I was having to fly in and out. So they were wrapping me up with TV, but Danny still lived right there in the area. So he could still come through TV. So it was the loser leave OBW for good. That's it. And uh, at that time I was like, Oh, thank God. I don't have to keep work. I can go home and be home for two days, three days instead yeah. of one. Um, so that match happened. Um, I lost, obviously, you know, Danny won the belt. The crowd went absolutely nuts. It was perfect. The way we did it, the crowd was super nuts. And then I was cut a promo, you know, Danny cut a promo saying, you know, it was great. Uh, toughest SOB I ever wrestled, blah, blah, blah. But he was the man. And then they come into the ring with me and I cut a promo and I was like, Hey, you know, it's been a great run. Uh, but you know, it's over. He was the best, you know, Danny was a better man and he dissolved the revolution. It's over. But then Rob Conway, uh, I said, no, it's not over. Game of the ego trip. And then they kicked me and beat me down. And the way Jimmy set it up, he set it up this way because we were on going to be on TV yeah. where I was sitting there and I was, ah, it's over. And he beat me up, come out, save me and just gave that look like, see you on TV, bro. Yeah. Cool. So it's kind of, Jimmy kind of helped, helped the, obviously save the storyline in OVW and also helped us in OVW or in uh, WWE as well. Excellent. Over to you, Jack. So, when uh, WWE would start being more prominent behind the scenes in OVW, uh, did that lead to turmoil, turmoil when they would start to try uh, to sort of insert what they wanted into OVW? Say it again. Um, I didn't I'm hear you. 
I'll repeat the question. Um, so when WWE would start being more prominent behind the scenes at OVW, uh, did that lead to turmoil when they would try to insert what they wanted into OVW? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah, because Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy wrote the TVs, you know, and he would always think that um, WWE is always trying to you know, screw up his TV and, and screw with him just to have fun and poke, poke fun. But uh, Jimmy was pretty, pretty, pretty clever, pretty smart. Uh, written TV knows how TV is supposed to be uh, written, and uh, Jimmy always had an answer to anything they threw at him. He always had an answer and always made it work. So yeah, it, it, they would try to throw some curveballs at him, but Jimmy was you know a step ahead of him. So um, in 2001, uh, what was it like when there was an influx of talent after the end of WCW as well? I can imagine there would have just been so many guys coming in wanting their shot, wanting to just do what they can do to make the best of that situation they were in. And obviously for all you guys that were still at OVW and you'd been there for so long. Uh, so how was that for you guys uh, on your end when there was that influx of talent after the end of um, WCW? Well, whenever all that happened was when OVW got the, got the um, WWE developmental contract and that was the yep. developmental territory. So they were bringing all these guys in. So we welcomed it. We're like, all eyes are on us. Yeah. So it was a good thing these guys were coming in, and it was an even better thing for the uh, the guys like me, Damage, Danny Holly, Rob Conway, Nick Dinsmore, because we worked with these guys, and the OVWTV. We were working with John Cena. We were working with Randy Orton. We were working with Dave Bautista. We were working with Brock Lesnar, Shelton Benjamin, and uh, the whole slew of uh, Victoria, the whole slew of others that come through. So whenever WWE. Um, uh, creative was watching these watching these tapes of these guys they were seeing us as well so we got we got some exposure too so it was it was good it was a good it was a good thing excellent do you have any sort of stories about us uh, oh, that's just when you think about it, how stacked that roster is and how how <laughs> the, the amazing things those guys did i mean that's Batista, brock lesnar john cena randy orton shelton benjamin i mean you could just go on and on do you have any like sort of cool stories about those guys from back in the day Probably none I could tell. <laughs> um, just <laughs> X-rated, R-rated, PG, what? No. Um, it, it just, I mean, I was... Um, like, like, what do you want? I'll have to, you'll have to help me out a little bit more. I mean, your wrestling stories, you want outside of the ring stories? Yeah, outside want... of the ring. Let's, let's, let's uh, outside, outside of the ring yeah. stories about those guys are a little less common. So let's try that. And also for the record, we also, we have no limits on the show. So you, whatever you feel, whatever you feel your, is your limit, you go for it. <laughs> the thing back then, um, uh, I didn't hang out with a lot of the guys after the shows and stuff like that. Um, because I had other responsibilities I had to take care of, and uh, so and they were here, and they would they, a lot of guys would go out. Uh, do you guys remember Sean O'Hare? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, um, Irish guy, obviously big, scary-looking dude. Loved to fight. Um, there, we there was this place we we would go. And he invited, he said, hey, Doug, why don't you come out with us? And of course, because I, I never went out. I didn't go out. You know, I, I stayed home. I didn't go do that. I didn't do so much. But he, he was like, man, come out, man. Come on. I said, come out. I'm like, Sean, I'll, I'll do it for you. I'll come out with you and have a, have a drink or two and then I'll leave. So we get there and uh, 
there was um, a group of us there, a group of us sitting off the side, and you know, had, had some drink, you know, you know, rest in peace, Sean. But a group was there, and uh, there, there was something was 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 happening over off the side with one of the guys that who were like a, not a main roster guy, but like a guy training and wanted to come in and be with us because we were one big family. And some big dude was kind of messing with this guy, and and uh, Sean just stands up and goes, "Hey, you're messing with my friend." The guy turns and looks and goes, oh, "All right, man." <laughs> and this is another big dude, another big dude, you know. And Sean just steps up, and like, like that. Uh, like as, as far as other stories, man, I really don't have a lot because I didn't go out and after afterwards and hang out and party, if that's what you want to call it, stuff like that. So yeah, I don't cool. have a lot of I don't have a lot of juice. Sorry. <laughs> that's all right. Not a problem. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to now start getting to uh, your WWE run. Um, you know, when was the first time you found out that they were interested in bringing you, Danny, in as a tag team? After our match with uh, or a match with Chris Benoit, I think uh, a little bit, a couple, a week or two before that. Um, Danny had worked with Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle came down. Wow. And had a pretty good match with him too. So when Jim Ross come down to do the TV um, with and Benoit was there and Brock was there and, and I think Randy Orton, well, I think Randy, no, Randy, Randy was at the other one, I think. Come down, um, he had some one-on-one -on -one time with Jim Ross and could tell him about the matches that we had and give him tapes so Jim Ross could watch it and see it. And then uh, they brought us up and funny story when they brought us up is um, I had went on the road prior to Danny coming up. So when John Cena got moved up to do ruthless aggression before he went on to be, you know, John Cena, um, I had gotten moved up too to do dark matches and me and John, you know, John had been up there uh, a little bit before, maybe a few weeks before me. And then me and John, we, we rode, we rode around together uh, and road buddies, I guess you call, call us. So we'd ride around together and I'd had a lot of dark matches and uh, they were looking at me. And then they brought Danny up because Jim Cornette had pushed to Jim Ross. Hey, you're not going to find a better tag team than these two guys here. So then when Danny came up, we did a dark match. And then the next next week, uh, let's see, who, who do we work? We work with, um, I can't remember who we worked with on dark. All these headshots. But I'll just get to where I was going with the story. They yeah. they they didn't they didn't know what they were going to do with us. We were we were going they were going to debut us, and they didn't know what they were going to do with us. So we were sitting in catering, and we knew we were going to work. We just didn't know with who or or what we were going to be. So Johnny Ace comes comes to the table and says, "Hey guys, um, we're going to be working with Akishi and, and uh, Spanky, and uh, you guys are going to go over tag team maneuver and." We're gonna call you the Basham Brothers. Of course, I'm like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, love it. And Danny's going, yeah, all right, yes, that sounds great. But inside, he's like, oh god. <laughs> it was funny. He looked at me out, and he goes, well, I guess I'm your brother, bro. I'm like, well, welcome to the family. So uh, that was that was our when we found out we were gonna be the Basham Brothers. And then there was one, uh, the our debut was with Rikishi and Spanky. 
And then the next week, we worked with Eddie and uh, Tajiri. I think they were the tag champs, I think. Right, yeah, that. yeah. We worked with them, and uh, Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin, they were the I think that I don't know. I think they were called the world's greatest tag team at the, at the time. Yeah. And I yeah, think yeah. they they were they were in a program with Eddie Eddie and Tajiri. I think, and we had an amazing match with Eddie and Tajiri. I mean, it went perfect. I mean, it was it was great. Couldn't couldn't have been better. And I, I heard uh, someone told me that who was it that said it? I can't remember who who came up told me this. They said, well, Shelton was sitting back there watching your all's match, Shelton and Charlie. And Shelton turned to Charlie and says, why do I feel like somebody just stole my girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> Having a good match, I guess. We stole the girlfriend. But <laughs> there, there's a backstage story for you. Yeah, That's cool. That's great. Um, I was also just looking on uh, online, and it appears that the first match you had as a team might have been at a SmackDown house show in Fort Myers against A-Train and Chris Canyon. Um, yes, I think, I think I do remember that. Yes. Um, yes, 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 yes. I remember that. It was like, I can't remember. The building was an odd looking building. Uh, I don't remember if it was Chris Canyon. I can't remember, but I, I, it probably was. But I remember A-Train because we had to uh, double suplex him. And uh, that we got, we got really good reviews um, on that, uh, that house show run on that loop. Oh, cool, cool. And I think that's when they finally came and said, we're going to debut you guys. Yeah, thank you. You jogged my memory. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, I also wanted to ask you, you know, you're entering the WWE now at a pretty important time in wrestling history. Um, how was the locker room back then when you first, you know, entered and, and were the guys welcoming of uh, some new guys? It's just like any freshman going on any type of uh, varsity team, you know, you're the new guy, you know, and that's where you, you do what you're supposed to do, be polite. Um, uh, listen, do what, you, do what you're told, shut your mouth <laughs> and, and, until, until it's your time, you know, cause you gotta, you know, you gotta prove yourself, prove that you're, you're worthy of being there. And that is shown through your work and how you are as a person and how you conduct yourself. So, um, it's up to you how welcomed you are. Absolutely. We, we passed the test. <laughs> I can you know, imagine hey, so. Like, like hazing of hazing of the new new guys, you know. How did you feel about being asked to shave your head? I didn't mind whatsoever because I started going bald back here, and it was. I was watching dead. that that segment where you were calling out Lesnar, and I'm like, okay. So when they asked him to shave the head, he was probably like, yeah, that's that's fine. <laughs> I'm 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 good with it. I'm okay with it. And as you can see, I've I've kept the hairstyle <laughs> cheap and easy, cheap and easy. Well, but oh well, man. This, you hear the story about Jim Cornette when I shaved my head and I come no. back? Oh, oh, you have got, he has a, when you guys have time, there's a Jim Cornette podcast. Yeah. And you got to listen, you've got to listen to it because he tells a story way better than I will, but I'll try and give you the, uh, the gist of it. So um, <laughs> went up there, me and Danny were doing a loop and uh, Johnny Ace wanted to see what, what I look like with my, my head shape, see how me and Danny would look which was why they wanted to make us the Basham brothers. I think he had that plan. So I went to the, the whatever, seen, uh, whoever cuts hair, the, I call it the barber, shaved my head and went back to Johnny. This, this is it. This is what we look like. And then uh, uh, come back to OVW because uh, we flew in. <laughs> the, the, loop was, the loop was over on 
Tuesday and you fly back home Wednesday morning and then we had OVW TV on Wednesday night. I show up to the arena because I used I had a I had a mullet, a mullet, yeah. right? And yeah. hair back here because I couldn't grow it up here, but I grew it back there. So I had that and you know, I had it long like that on for a reason. One, it's a mullet. Two, when you get hit the hair fly. And uh, three, it was easy. Um, <laughs> So I get, I show up to the arena and Dan and, and Jim Cornette sees me and he blew again. What the is what the did you do? How come you cut? You? Oh, he he cut. He just went off, went off, went off. <laughs> and the main thing, you guys, he goes, "Why the hell you look like a forty-year-old truck driver?" I'm like, "Thanks, Jimmy. I don't look like 40. I was like thirty. I think I was thirty, twenty-nine or thirty. At the time, you look like a forty-year-old truck driver. God dang it! Blah, 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 blah. It, was, it wasn't funny then, but it's funny now. Uh, but yeah, so he thought that they wanted me just to cut my hair, just because, uh, just to get it, get it, Jimmy. But I think their vision—they wanted to see what we look like. You couldn't imagine it. Jimmy's like, you couldn't imagine what it looked like. Bald, you have to go ahead and cut his hair. We could have had a hair match. He could have lost it. Oh my God! You just <laughs> He's just thinking about what could have been done. <laughs> Yeah, and that would have been great because I, I could have lost my hair, you know, and that, that would have been yeah. that would have been a great angle, you know, because that would have helped build another star and cut my hair. Yeah, for sure, it would have been great. But hey, I was not upset at all. Well, I'll tell you what, Doug, I, I I've been going through the same thing with my hair uh, for many years. The 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 thinning of the hair right at the back, right at the front, and I'll tell you what, my friend, I have joined the club. Let's see what you got, buddy, my man. My man, it's bald's beautiful, bro. Oh man, it's so much easier after you've had a shower. You just you 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 dry in two seconds. You don't have to oh, worry about it. And you, you pay no more for haircuts. You do it yourself, right? <laughs> That's like, it. I shaved my head five years ago, and I won't lie, I do miss it. I miss the feeling. I miss the feeling. Like, but having this, I'm due for a haircut. That's the thing. I'm gonna go you know what? Don't no. Look, you got hair that goes to the front of your head, Jack. Don't. It's nice, isn't it? Like, be be, be proud of that because I wish I had that. I never had that. So <laughs> hang on to that, Jack, for as long as you can, bro. <laughs> because if if I could grow hair everywhere, I probably would have a full head of hair too. So me too. I'll give it yeah. a go, but you know, uh, everyone in my family is you know balding, all in the same spot as well. I noticed so. I would uh, assume once you get to that age, yeah, right about, <laughs> right about there. So <laughs> once you get to that age, oh, my dad's going to be looking like Hulk Hogan soon. So <laughs> yeah. then it, it's time just to just to let it go, just cut <laughs> it off. Exactly, um, Jack. It's over to you now, bro. Um, <laughs> Shanika joins the team. Um, to me, I think that's a, I think I, in my eyes, that was a, that was a great combination. You guys, Shanika, it's just it's unique. Uh, what was your thoughts on it, and how was uh, how did you feel like she blended into uh, the stable? Well, Shaniqua was a, an amazing athlete. Um, she played basketball. She was a, a star athlete in high school. She was a, a star athlete at Rutgers University in basketball, and just she had a tremendous athletic ability. And she was just a, a specimen. I mean, she yeah. was ripped more than me. She was jacked. I mean, she looked, she, she looked like a, she looked like a, a darker China, mm. a little bit smaller, a little bit yeah. smaller, darker China. Um, she really didn't know wrestling that well and kind of, I, I don't know this, you'd have to ask her, but my opinion, and I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I, I you know, I think she saw this, this tough enough thing 
and was wanting to try another chapter in her life and saw something, a uh, competition, you know, because she was very uh, competitive. So she saw a competition. She came, she won, she kicked its butt and came with us. And uh, the reason the they put her with us is because one of the writers in WWE went to a Britney Spears concert and they knew that me and Danny wore black leather pants. And I guess Britney uh, had on like an S&M costume and all her dancers had black leather pants on. And the writer said that gave him the idea of having uh, some dominatrix uh, with, with the two guys and create a story. We didn't really care what they did with us. We just wanted to work. Um, really didn't know much about S&M or how it worked. So I had yeah. to research a lot of that. I think Shaniqua did too. And they, they sent us, this never aired, but they sent us to New York. And, uh, and there's a lot of crazy things in New York, right? Didn't know these things existed. They sent us, they rented out this building that when you go in, people pay money to go in to get tortured, I guess, guys yeah. by women. Yeah. There, there's like these chairs, it looks like an electric chair, and it's got these devices on it, and there's stuff hanging on the wall. And I'm like, what in the hell is this? There's padded rooms. There's one room that has this big thing that you get on. It goes around and around and around. There's a, there's a donkey in there that you lay on there was a bird cage in there there was this this torture rack bed that had these shackles on it i mean it was it was something else so we went in there and this this was how they were going to introduce us you know how the wwe used to they would uh do like these promo packages for a star before they go out there so it kind of yeah. introduces them it's kind of yeah. what they were doing with doing with us and we did all this stuff in this place and this the a real dominatrix was coming in and working with Shaniqua, trying to teach her how to be wow. know, dominant. And here's a story. I'll tell you this story. Okay, you want stories? Here's a, okay. It's all coming back. <laughs> Here so. we go. <laughs> so me and Danny are in this this building, and the dominatrix was talking to training Shaniqua. And said, "You need to dominate these boys. You need to let them know who the boss is." And Shaniqua, she goes, "Now, now try it." Shaniqua did something, was trying whatever, and uh, the the domina or whatever you call her said, "Nope." let me show you and she gets near me and danny she said stand next to each other and we just kind of stand straighten up stand next to each other we go Ooh, okay so we get like next to each other and she just and this woman was probably five foot she wasn't very big but she would you could see she looked like she was in pretty good shape and uh probably at the time me and danny we were i was i was 30 I guess I was in my 28, 29, 30. I can't remember how old I was when I moved up. And Danny is like five years younger than me. So here we are, two young kids. And this was a late 30s, early 40s woman. You could tell, you know, attractive. She was attractive. Um, tells us, get on your knees. And me and Danny just kind of looked and like, what? She took her hand, grabbed Danny's junk and squeezed it. He goes, oh, and guess what I did? I dropped him on my knees real quick. <laughs> okay. Well, well he's, staying, he's slowly getting down to his knees. And then she had this like little whip thing was kind of hitting us and asking us questions and telling us you speak when I tell you to speak. So, and then, uh, then it was Shaniqua's turn. <laughs> it was Shaniqua's turn. And she tried to do the same thing, except she didn't do the, you know, the, the, the nut, nut squeeze. She left that out, but she was being a little more dominant. 
And then after that, we had to film something where me and Danny were giving her, I guess, some pleasure. So we had her laying <laughs> over, <laughs> over this, over this donkey, and she was laying backwards and had her head up like that. And we had these paddles, and we were whapping her in the right in the, right in the ass, and we were hitting her hard because she was hitting us with paybacks, right? So we see, <laughs> yeah. she was hitting us with that leather whip thing, and it was like, mother, stop, stop. But you know, we couldn't say stop because we didn't want like a couple of. You know, you know what that is. Yeah. Um, so we were hitting her so so hard, and we were we were messing up on purpose. Oh, we messed up. Can we try it again? Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. And we, wow. Oh man, I'm sorry. I, I messed up. So we we did that. We messed with her and uh, messed up a few times on purpose so we could you know get her. <laughs> she was a good sport, man. She took it like a champ. And uh, uh, but as far as in ring and working with her, she was quite a specimen. And I wish now me and Danny had that, had the belief of, you know, the, a lot of the focus needs to be on the ring and the wrestlers and not necessarily the, the manager, but in the WWE, they kind of, they, they kind of think of things a little different. You know, if we would have, if I'd have had, if I can go back and redo and live that part of my career over again, I would have done a lot of things different and I would have put more of the focus on Shaniqua because she's the one that was the main focus of the match we were just we were just earrings man we were just you yeah. know she was the christmas tree she was the main focus so if i, if I could have go back and redo some things it would have been done totally different she would have been more the main focus uh, i would have spent a little bit more time um, talking to her about the psychology and why we're doing stuff because me and Danny wanted the match to be focused on us and less her, but right. the WWE, I think, wanted to be more on her because she was just a, she she was a she was a China, you know, she was a, yeah. a she was a, a sight to see you just don't see very often because she was Jack and and you know, she just she looked good in the outfits that she wore and uh, yeah she was gorgeous oh she was just jacked and of course you know I I saw that visually and I was like I can't let this woman jacked me i gotta get in better shape which i didn't know how to do <laughs> but uh th that's working with shaniqua or, or work with linda it, it was good and it was fun while it lasted i just wish i would have done a few things different and put more of the focus on her and have more highlights with her um but you know we i had we had to work to her limitations also yeah yep. but uh that's 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 my uh linda miles that's things a little bit different <laughs> <laughs> The New York, the, I don't even know what that place was called. New York Torture Chamber. I don't know what it was called. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to a place like that before in my life. <laughs> Probably won't ever again. Neither have I, and I don't think I ever will. But well, you should. You should go try it out. You should use experience at least once. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they got some there in Perth. <laughs> oh, definitely. I know that they do. Yeah. <laughs> so, sort of moving on from uh, the SMM gimmick into something a bit more fun. Uh, well, not fun, actually awesome looking back at it. You end up winning the WWE World Tag Team Championships from the Los Guerreros in uh, Eddie Guerrero and uh, Chava Guerrero on October 3rd in 2003. October 23rd, to be precise, Jack. 23rd, sorry. sorry. <laughs> 03 or 02? It'll be 03? No, 02. Uh, yeah, it has to be 03. Yeah, so you didn't, you didn't put the year on the here, so. Sorry, guessing. my bad. Um, that would have been a massive moment for you guys. Uh, how was that finally? So you, you're in the WWE. This is your first championship. That's a, that's a massive moment. Um, how was that for you? 
It was uh, a dream come true. No. There was a couple, couple of things in my career that I wanted. One, I wanted to work for Vince. I wanted to work for the WWE. When I got there, I was like, oh, one down. Two, I wanted to work with uh, a couple of the stars, my, my idols, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, you know, Undertaker. I wanted to work with these guys just so I could say, oh, I did it. When I finally did, that was two things checked off. Three, I wanted to be in a WrestleMania. Was in WrestleMania 20, where, they, where it all begins again, and walking uh, out of yeah. Madison Square Gardens. Oh, yeah, there, yeah. If, if, I don't know if they caught it, but when me and Danny walked through those doors and come out, there was about a split second where I came totally out of character. And I went, oh, my God. And I went, oh, shit. There was a split second where I took it all in. I was like, oh, my God. This is why I did this. Right. All those bumps, all the training, everything, this is it. But there, I don't know if you, if they caught it or whatever, but you, there was a noticeable moment. And then uh, the final thing was to be uh, a champion of some sort, tag, intercontinental, TV, international, heavyweight, didn't matter, you know, in WWE. Yeah. And we did that. So all four things checked. Uh, amazing. And w winning him from Eddie was one of, one of the guys that I, admired and wanted to wanted to work one of my uh, guys that I watched when I was moving up because he could technical wrestle he was entertaining um, winning him from them was well we didn't win them you know they, they kind of they, they, you don't win anything you just go through the store and they hand them down to you and you represent the company as champions but uh, after it was over me and Danny came through the gorilla and walked and got you know back in the, the back area and, and I was waiting for Chavo and Eddie and Eddie comes through. Chavo came through. Hey, God, thanks. And we said, thank you, Chavo. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And gives a hug. And, and he said, thank you much. And Eddie comes up and says, good job, boys. And I'll try to talk like Eddie. Good job, boys. Now, represent the company and where I'm from. Good job. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't speak. I was like, looking at Danny like, oh, did we win him? We did win him. We want to for Eddie. <laughs> you know, two two great superstars, two great guys too. So that was uh, a pivotal moment. I couldn't. It was it was a dream come true. So I could say that was yeah. check check box number one. Uh, amazing man. So glad to see that you were able to uh, check off the the four things that meant most to you. Um, that's just you know, uh, it, it feels good knowing that someone got to have their dream come true. It, you know what, man. And, the thing is, too, in my life, um, I you know, always wanted to be a professional wrestler. And whenever I was uh, just growing up and trying to become a professional wrestler and going through training and all that, you, I, I would hear whispers of people kind of making fun of me and making fun of, oh, he's going to be a wrestler. He's going to be working in bingo halls and all this. And all yeah. these people who used to be wrestling fans in our town, people would kind of make fun of him a little bit. Oh, a little bit. He'll, they'll be their number one fans. But then... Uh, I guess, uh, I don't want to say revenge, but success is the sweetest. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, revenge, I guess. I don't know. Success is Redemption. the sweetest. There you go. So when I would come back to the town, these same people were coming up. Oh, man. Hey, Doug, can I get your autograph? You got a picture? Can we get a picture with you? So it was. It felt pretty good and uh, let them know that 
it's just like if you want to be a professional football player, man, you play football in high school, you play football in college, then you make it to the NFL, man. It's yeah. kind of the same with what I got. It, it, it's a professional um, sport, uh, professional sports entertainment. And not everybody can do it, man. Yeah, <laughs> well, That's what I want to say. I was like, you try it. See if you can do it. But I, I did it. So it was, it's something I always hold in my, you know, I did it. I made it. Cool, bro. Um, I wanted to ask you about the point in time where they took Shaniqua off TV. I don't know if she got released or if she was sent to do extra training. I've got a little bit of, um, I'm not, my research is a little bit conflicted. Some say she went to OVW, others say that she got released. Um, and this is also um, after you both lost the, the titles as well. What did you think, first of all, of them taking her off TV and out of the, the group? And um, also losing the titles. And it seemed like the push that the team had went away for a little while before you were in the cabinet um, and you were doing velocity and, and, and putting over, you know, a bunch of the teams. Um, what was going on all there? Shaniqua got off t- taken off TV twice. Once because she went to get uh, implants. Yeah. And that yeah. was when we had, a, we had a match with APA and, and Bradshaw gave her the clothesline from hell. And yeah. that, was, that was supposed to take her out. And then she came back because she had surgery. And the second time, um, I think Shaniqua had went to Vince and was trying to get talk to him about something. And I think I heard Vince tell uh, Johnny Ace, uh, she must have rubbed Vince the wrong way oh. or something. And Vince said, send her back to OVW, you know, get her, get her off my TV. And then I think I didn't help situation any when we were going to drop the titles to Rikishi and Scotty, uh, me and Danny were like, man, are they doing it just on regular TV? Why wouldn't they do that on a pay-per-view and, and build it? And I, I said something to uh, Michael Hayes about that. And uh, Michael Hayes is like, why you, I made a cardinal, cardinal sin, big mistake. I opened my mouth. I should have kept my mouth shut. So to anybody listening to this out there, when you get up there, the boss tells you to do something, shut your mouth and do it, especially if you're new. Um, so I said, why, why wouldn't we drop him on a pay-per-view? And, uh, Michael Hayes look, had that look on his face. When he had that look on his face, I went, Oh God, I said, Oh, why did I, I just, Oh oh." man, I can't believe you have to be on such eggshells there. Like we were new. You just asked a question. I mean, and it makes sense. Well, it's what the boss wanted. So Michael, you me go ask the boss. And I'm thinking, might as well. Yeah. Yeah. He come back and said, "It's because that's what Vince wants." And I was like, "Yes, sir." And it was everything from there. And after that, we dropped the titles. After that, we were on Velocity for about a year. Uh, we went to house shows and we were putting people over left and we said, "Not, we didn't care if we put people over." It's, there, there is yeah, no yeah. win loss column. We didn't give it. We didn't care. We just wanted to work. So we were on the road. We were working, having good matches. I don't know if it was like put them on the road and see how they react to losing every night. But little do they know, we, we didn't care. We were, we were working and we'd go out and we'd had great matches every night with, with it didn't matter. I mean, we put Zach Gowan over. Yeah. A, a one-legged guy that was uh, no bigger than either one of you two. Yeah. But we didn't, we didn't care. We had entertaining matches. We're glad to be working, getting paid. And then there was a little stint there where we were off TV. And then uh, we did, we'd come back and did this tough enough thing. Yeah. And then was with JBL in the cabinet. Right. Yeah. I just, man, it just, it just blows my mind. It's a multi-million dollar company and a billion dollar company. And someone asks one question and the punishment goes for so long. Like, 
Gee, I just don't understand that, that thought process. Eddie Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero told me this. He said, he said this. He goes, no win to no win. And I'm like, I'm like to no win. I think I understand what you're, what you're saying. I think. Okay. No win to right. open your mouth and no win to shut it. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, that's what he was saying. He said it nicely. <laughs> um, Eddie, Eddie and I talked a lot. He, he kind of took me under his wing, was helping me and coaching me along and, and helping me understand some of the politics of uh, wrestling. So I hated it when he passed away because my mentor, I guess, who was teaching me, you know, when to know when uh, mm. passed on. So that was, that was a big loss. I hated that. Yeah. I hated that he passed on. But... Me too. Um, he's one of my, one of my favorites. Um, oh yeah. I wanted to uh, ask you what it was like working with the Dudleys. Uh, one of the greatest tag teams of all time. I know you guys got to have a few matches with them. I'm sure. We did we had some house shows. It was, it was gravy. It was gravy, man. It was easy, and it was it was great. We go out there and tear the house down, have a good time, and we knew the people. When you see the Dudleys, what do they want? They want waza, and they wanted get the tables. So yeah. it was so easy, and the match was irrelevant. We go out there and have an entertaining match and do whatever they do their stuff. We get heat on them, and uh, I'd get nut shotted, and Danny go through a table. <laughs> <laughs> cool man. Easy, and it, it was fun. It was fun, man. They were easy, great guys to work with. Um, so you do join JBL's cabinet as the secretaries of defense. Um, so now finally you're, you're, you're getting back to where you're kind of at and you're, you're getting a bit more of the push. Um, uh, so how did that all come about, uh, the idea behind it and, and what was it like working with John? Oh, how we got there was you guys remember the tough enough, uh, was it tough enough three, I think with like where, Daniel Pewter. Yeah. Daniel Pewter and all them guys. Well, the couple of um, segments before that, a couple of the stars kind of got, you know, uh, embarrassed a little bit because I think yeah. Daniel Pugh, Keylock, Kurt Angle. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, the big show did a body slam challenge. Guys were popping straight up like it didn't hurt. Yeah. And they Vince said, we can't have that. Then they, they had a segment where they did dressed up as, you know, girls and all this other stuff to try and take the heat off of what, what had happened. And then they had uh, they had a segment where me and Danny had to guard a flag behind us, and the the boys had to get through us to get the flag. Whoever got the flag, you know, got so many points or won whatever. Yeah. So that day we were told we were going to be doing that segment, and that segment was a one hundred percent shoot. There was no work. It was full on competitive competition. So do you guys remember Hugh Morris? Yes. <laughs> yeah he wound me and danny and me and bill Demott were really good friends by the way really good yeah. friends that went to his wedding and everything really good friends um so but bill Demott, he he wound us up that day and said boys you know why they put you in this because me and danny had been off tv for a while and you know yeah. we've been just doing velocity and this could have been the opportunity for wwe to get rid of us or yeah. do, do, do what they did yeah. and build them up, brought that to light. He goes, you guys know what's at stake, right? And we're like, what? Well, if, you don't, if any of those boys get that flag, yeah. we went, are you 
didn't they? So we were getting ourselves worked up and build him on every chance he got all day long reminded us of that and said, do we? And he was like, do whatever you have to do to keep them boys from getting past you. It doesn't matter what you have to do, rip their hair out, choke them, choke them out. You do not let them get past you. And we were like, yeah. and then we were like, we're sitting here, we're getting worked up. We're like, yeah. Yeah, 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 I got. Mm -hmm. They're not going to get past us. Yeah. And then we we get into the ring to walk. You know, before the whole show starts, Vince is in there. The, the tough enough kids were there. Me and Danny's there, and we walk around the segment. Al Snow is up there. We're all going through everything, and then uh, the segment's kind of over, and Vince comes over to me and Danny, and he goes, "Boys, uh, you see that flag over there, right?" And we go, "Yes, sir." He goes, "Short of killing anybody." And send them to the hospital. Do not let them get past you. Yeah. What do you think was just said there? Exactly. They get the flag. You're fired. Wow. <laughs> Basically. Jeez. So we were like, God damn. Fresh is oh. on. <laughs> it was like, if if they get past us, we're fired. We're done. And me and Danny went back. We talked about it. And we said, whatever we got to do. Said so hospital, choke them out, eye gouge thumb the nose, fish hook, whatever. They're not getting past us, whatever we got to do. So that's the mentality when we went out there to do that. That's what we, that's what we thought. And we didn't know this until the whole thing. Well, we went out there and we stopped them. So, and it, it, Danny, one of the guys that hit Danny so hard, it, it cracked his bone, knocked his eye socket oh, out. Shit. It broke, broke one of my teeth. So I was bleeding. Danny was, Danny was, hurting he had to go to the i think he went to the doctor when he went back home he didn't let anybody know that but he went back and goes man I bruised my orbital bone or whatever it's like it was real so after we had done that um we found out that they had charlie hoss and bob holly waiting on deck so if somebody got past us they were going to replace us and put them out right. there to keep yeah. so they had them on deck we didn't let him do it. So we went through everybody and there were some big, strong dudes there. And then Daniel Pewter finally got up and he got the closest. And the only reason he got as close as he did was because me and Danny, our arms were jelly. We were like, yeah. mm, suck and win because conditioning for uh, amateur wrestling and doing what we do, it's, it's different. It's totally different. And we were not conditioned to do that. Hold them down, all your strength, all for the moment. But anyway, we stopped them. So what had happened, how we got with JBL is the undertaker and JBL had went to the boss and they said, um, and the undertaker told me this actually told me that, um, the, the boss put you boys in jeopardy. So it's, it's time to, you guys need to be rewarded because you yeah. guys, you guys went out there and represented and did what you were supposed to do. Yeah. And, uh, so they came up with the idea to put us with JBL and JBL's cabinet because he was, he had Orlando Jordan and then um, that girl who was his. Oh publicist. man, what was her name again? Amy something. Yeah, Amy. We got, uh, we, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so I know then, So then the following week, they were going to introduce us as his cabinet. And that's when I think uh, Eddie Guerrero and um, Booker T, I think they were the champions at the time, I think. Was that right? I believe. Uh, yeah. Yes. And they were work I can't remember who they were working that, that night, but me and Danny were sitting in the crowd. Well, actually, no, they were gonna have us Booker T actually stepped up and, and spoke up for us. They were just gonna have us run down and interfere and do something. And Booker T said, Oh hell no, 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 hell no. So we're gonna bring these boys in, they're gonna make an impact. 
let's do it right. He said, let's have them sitting in the crowd and come out of the crowd and, and uh, douche us both. So that was Booker set it up and made it more right, cool. than what they originally had. So, you know, Booker T, because, you know, he wanted to, if, we, if they were going to work with us, he wanted to make sure there was a, a legit reason other than just running down. So, you know, we had ma I had mask on, I think Danny did. We had on Eddie Guerrero T-shirts and all that. And then Booker was on the outside of the ring. I think Danny dropped Booker. Eddie was on the top of the ring. I came up and I, I dropped Eddie and then cost him the match. And uh, uh, then we had our we had our program. Started off our program with JBL. And then we had our program with uh, um, Eddie and, and Booker after that. So that that's right. how that happened. And I believe that, that girl's name was Amy Weber. Amy yeah. Weber. Oh, my Amy gosh. Bro. I got a story. I got a story for you. Please. I, I got a good story for you. Speak. See, it all, it all comes back. <laughs> we were um, we were doing a show over in Japan, right? I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but I, I'm not wrestling anymore. Who cares? Um, we were <laughs> overseas in Japan, and they were doing. That's when JBL. There was a segment where JBL was uh, uh, act like he got tranquilized, and he was wandering around the whole. This is when he and Big Show were having their uh, feud. Yeah. And, um, me and Danny went out. Uh, just to go see Japan. I think we were in Tokyo. Just went out to wander around. We were going out late not that not one night to eat, find something to eat. And we went to this little district, and these people over there in Japan, people come up and hand you these cards. Oh, hey, yeah, yeah, you got to go. You guys go. It's advertisement for strip clubs, basically, is what it is. Yeah. So we get the we get this card, and when we look at it, we go, and we look at each other, and I go, Danny, is that who I think it is? And Danny looks at it and goes, oh, my God, it is. On their advertisement, they had a picture of Amy Weber. <laughs> <laughs> Amy Weber on there. And we, we take that car. And we go, we got to show the boss, the boss being JBL. So we took it yeah. back to JBL and showed it to JBL. And then uh, we had some fun with that. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop the story there. But, uh, we had some fun with that. Fair enough. Yeah, no, I, I remember hearing something slightly about that many years ago. Um, oh, there's a, there's a, there's more there's a lot more of the story, but um, <laughs> that's okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it alone. <laughs> it was uh, awesome. Uh, Jack, it's uh, it's back over to you. We're up to the part where they are uh, the Bashams won the tag titles the second time. Yeah, sure. Um, I reckon also just on the document, let's just flip the names. So uh, yeah, winning the tag titles oh, again, enough, yeah. and the push returns. Um, so. Obviously, this guy, this would give you guys some sort of sense of hope. Like, hey, this WWE thing might actually lead somewhere. Um, yeah, what was your mindset going into this? And obviously, I, I, it was short-lived. Um, take it away. Well, the reason it was short-lived, I'll start and go backwards. The reason it was short-lived yeah. is that uh, Vince, Vince wanted us to uh, split. He wanted to split us up and wanted to uh, have singles, have us in singles career because that was back when they had the draft and they drafted Danny DeRaw. And I stayed uh, on SmackDown. I think JBL and Undertaker wanted me to stay there on SmackDown uh, because they, they had been helping me as well, hone my entertainment ability, whatever. Um, and then Danny went over there. So I, I do believe, and I uh, don't know if Danny knows this or not, but I think I was the one they were going to try and focus on to uh, push and move up. And Danny was just going to be thrown in the, under, in the mid card. And if he makes it great, if not, not. So I was supposed to come up with a character and something to present to, present to 
uh, WWE. And I tried to come up with a, with a character that fed it to the, the writers. It just got lost in translation and it never happened. And, and then my career was pretty much over. So that fifth box, I never got the check. I never got a singles career with WWE. So they got four of the five. So that kind of happened. And, you know, I take full responsibility for the, my career being in, in the demise of Doug Basham and the WWE because I didn't, uh, uh, that ball they give you, I think I fumbled it. So, hey, I, I own I own that. That's on me. Um, as far as being with JBL, it was, uh, it revived, you know, we had spent a year or so uh, velocity and, and putting guys over and just going out working and having fun, having great attitudes. It didn't matter. Then that tough enough incident came up and then it put us with JBL. It elevated us. It took us from here and brought us up to here with JBL. And it gave us uh, a whole, gave us another run, gave us, we were on pay-per-views. We were with the champion. Granted, we were just the crash test dummies for him, but you know, we didn't care. We were just going to ride this thing out and see where it led. And eventually it was to lead, you know, we became tag champions again. We had a great run, um, worked with all the top guys again on all the pay-per-views, uh, WrestleManias, helping JBL and, you know, made some money. So that's, and then wherever it led after that, we knew where it was going to go after that. It was, they were going to split us up eventually. We knew that, but yeah, we just didn't know when we just, man, we just, we just ran with it, bro. We just ran with it. That's great because no matter who JBL's working with, that means that's who you're working with. So if he's working Undertaker, you're working Undertaker. Yeah, one of us is going to take the tombstone. The other one's taking the last ride. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take those any day of the week, man. I don't give a fuck. Hey, what, I, I, the first time I took the last ride, boys, that is a long way down. It felt like slow motion. Undertaker put me up there and he goes, you ready, kid? And he goes, and I'm up. You know, I'm doing my thing. Oh, my God. And when he let me down, man, it felt like I fell forever before I hit the ground. <laughs> it was a big bump. I'd be popping so, I'd be popping so hard, man. Whole, man. God. He'd probably throw. He'd probably try to throw you through the mat. Me, he just kind of laid down. He would. I would. Sid vicious you. Yeah. Would be vicious me. It wouldn't be a good sight. I'm joking, man. Undertaker was. He was. A, he was a professional man. He was one of the. Well, he's one of the greatest. Definitely. Where are we up to, Jack? Oh, yeah, that's oh, me. It's me still. No, it's me still. Okay. So by June 2004, you two uh, quit the cabinet and are separated. So obviously you've uh, sort of already spoken about this now. So we'll sort of move on to the actual singles run. Um, what was your initial uh, feelings towards you being uh, sort of by yourself? Uh, you're in the WWE now and you are now uh, technically solo. So uh, did just sort of face any challenges transitioning from being solo, uh, being a tag team wrestler to being uh, singles. The only challenge that I was uh, trying to overcome was coming up with a character, coming up yep. with something for a creative to work with. That was the only challenge. As far as being a singles competitor, I had not at that point, I'd been uh, 15 years into my career and yeah, you know, I could do singles. I could do tag. I could do, I could, anything you wanted I could do so I was very confident in my ability to perform whatever they needed and was looking forward to a singles career and that I was ready for that next step I think Danny was too ready for that next step for both of us yeah. um, but the, the main challenge was finding a, a character that would resonate and that the boss would understand boss being Vince McMahon and that the writers could write for and uh, when I threw my idea there the writers just uh, 
it got got lost in translation. And then when I went out there to try and perform it, it didn't work. It didn't work at all, man. You can go back and see on YouTube and watch them. It, it did, you you would go, okay, what is he? Yeah. And basically, it was supposed to be a guy. I was going to use my last name and call myself the Bash Man. And basically, I would just, you know, kind of bash people. Kind of a little bit what JBL did, but JBL did on a political site, on a political platform. And I was going to do it and uh, compare people to what was going on in the news. Like, I think at that time, uh, Janet Jackson had had that uh, uh, breast pop out, yeah, yeah, pop out or whatever. And I was going to, uh, I would compare, and I was going to use Eddie Guerrero. Say, oh, she's just doing that for, for attention. You know, shame on you people. It was an accident and all that. But what's not an accident is Eddie Guerrero using his drug problems, his drinking, writing a book, trying to get attention focused on him, blah, 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 and turn it around and bash him and then bash the people who were bashing. Right. So and then my catchphrase was was going to be, you know, you've just been bashed, you know, so and, but that was my idea and how it got to what you saw. I was talking to, about some guy about living the, living the dream and all that. I'm like, it's <laughs> not what I. Right, they, did, they did. They didn't get where you were trying to where you were trying to come from. I, it, I just totally got lost in translation. It, and, it blows my mind that, that, that they're the creative team. They should be the ones coming up with the ideas and the characters. I mean, they used to come up with things for people all the time, and you know, the Undertaker. Mankind, they always came up with them in creative services, I guess, what Prince Russo used to call it. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it boggles my mind that they can't think of anything themselves and they've got to rely on you to come up with something for yourself. That was orders from the boss himself. He took me and right. Danny aside and set us down. I remember we were, set, we, were, we were leaning on a crate and the boss was right there and he said, I'm going to move you to Raw. You're going to stay on SmackDown. I want you both to come up with, come up with something and get with creative and show me what you got and then he walked right. out and he said okay interesting yeah an interesting story for you guys kind of off the wall something i'll share with everybody that i've shared before uh it's it's a neat story totally totally ram and off the wall if you guys want me to tell it, it has yeah to do man with, uh, yeah awesome Go for it. It, it has to do with stephanie mcmahon oh, even better. <laughs> brilliant so you know stephanie mcmahon's got these mm, monsters oh, yeah. right they do we know we know so yep. me me and Danny had this idea. We wanted to kind of run it by uh, Stephanie because she was running SmackDown. And so we caught her off the side and we said, Hey, Stephanie, when, you know, you have some time, some today, could, could we, could we talk with you? She goes, yeah, yeah. I got, I got time right now. So me and Danny's like, all right, cool. So she had on this V-neck, V-neck sweater and it was really loose because she had big, big knockers. Right. So she couldn't wear really tight, tight clothing. So we go and uh, me and, she, we get up the hallway and there's a couple chairs, Fulcher, she put one down for her and me and Danny put two side by side. So we were looking straight at her, right? So she's got on this loose sweater and me and Dan start talking to her and she's talking to us and she lays down her, she's writing stuff down. And then she puts her board down on the ground and puts her elbows on her knees and is leaned over looking at us and her shirt just goes, poof, it pops open. I mean, if you wanted to, you could look down and you could see everything. I never stared somebody in the eyeballs and never <laughs> never lost in my life as I stared her straight in the face, right in the eyes every time. 
and you know, she, you know, she was, she was, she had to have been messing with us, had to have been messing with us because she was leaned down and she knew because every time she would look away at Danny, I, I followed her eyes. I didn't take my eyes off of her because, you know, peripheral, you could see if somebody's doing this. <laughs> so we finally get finished talking to her and then she gets up, says, okay, boys, you know, maybe get with Hunter and ask Hunter and talk to Hunter or something like that. And we're like, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening to us. We appreciate it. And she goes, all right, boys, good, you know, good, good idea. Good idea. We'll work with it. She leaves and me and Danny turn and look at each other. Our jaws drop going, was that not the hardest thing you've ever done in your life? Not to <laughs> look down and stare at her, at her jugs hanging down. And we were like, oh, God, that's the hardest, hardest thing I've ever done in my life, boys. Just so you know. Triple H is so, a lucky man. Inter- <laughs> interesting story. I figured you guys might like that. I love totally, it. I love it. To- totally random and off the wall. But you said you wanted some stories, and they're, they're come, starting to come back to me a little bit. I thought your situation awesome. with Sid Vicious was tough. That's... That was that scary. Yes, I guess this was scary too. If, if I look down, what is going to happen? <laughs> oh my God, I want to look down so bad, but uh. <laughs> so, I'm not a pervert. But come on, man. <laughs> Maybe she thought because you guys did the S and M gimmick so well that she wanted to see if you two really were deviants. <laughs> let's let's see what they think about this. <laughs> oh man, that that was, that was actually tor- that was torture. She was the dominatrix there. She tortured us. That was funny. That was the hardest thing. One of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. I stare at the boss's boobs. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's difficult. Um, another thing I found very interesting, um, and I actually didn't realize this was you guys in as. Oh, you didn't know that, swimming. bro. I had no idea up until. Yeah, I remember. I remember wondering who the hell it was, and I was like googling it at the time. Who were these guys? <laughs> um, when was this? ACW is Paul Hammond's Enforcers. I oh yeah yeah yeah. I had no idea up until probably until reading this document about an hour ago, and I was yeah. just like, oh no shit, wow. Absolutely, um, that was me. Me and Danny started out, and then Danny tore his bicep doing a clothesline on somebody and couldn't work, so they replaced Danny with a guy by the name of Derek Nykirk. And he and I jailed pretty well as tag team too, but. Uh, that was that was us, the enforcers. Yeah. How was that experience for you guys? Like, I mean, WWE, I mean, ECW wasn't. There was shit. I mean, everyone knows it was shit, and it was a yeah. stupid. You know, they weren't going to bring it back and put it in small arenas and let it be like the old thing. Then, then don't do it at all. And uh, you know, Dude, I, I just wonder what it was like wearing those fucking helmets <laughs> you guys had to wear. <laughs> It was. It was what it was. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. It was what it was. <laughs> yeah. But an interesting story. We were overseas. It may have been over. Were we the dude when we came to? Let's see, I think did WWE come to the Australia once or twice? A few times. Um, I know twice specifically times. for Perth, but after that they stopped doing Perth and they just went on the East Coast. They did do. They did a SmackDown and ECW tour in 2007, I think. Right. And I remember it was SmackDown and ECW. Okay. I think if I can remember, I can't remember if we were overseas in Australia or overseas and they, they took the ECW brand overseas, I think, or if it yeah. was, I can't, man, I'm sorry guys, my, my, I can't That's remember okay. some things sometimes, but we were wearing uh, the riot gear, you know, and you could hit us pretty hard with the right gear, you know, it didn't hurt because we had on those chest protectors and the helmet and stuff. 
but we were working with Rob Van Dam and there was a spot called where he has his comeback and he did this, you know, flying kick to, to me in the helmet. He kicked me so hard. It knocked me out. Shit. It knocked me out or knocked me <laughs> loopy. I'm going to say out because I missed the next spot because he hit me. And I went face, I face plan. I was face down. That's what Danny told me. And he goes, bro, you missed your spot. You know, afterwards you missed your spot. I go, bro, I was knocked the fuck out. <laughs> I was loopy, but I, I didn't say anything. Didn't want to know because I, I don't, you know, I'm not a flower. But uh, he thought just because I was wearing a helmet, he could kick me as hard as he wanted. And me and Rob Dam, Van Dam, we, we were friends. We were buddies, you know. He just he just did it, I guess. <laughs> eh, he'll be okay. Knock me the F out. <laughs> Damn, I can't believe he was able to knock you out with the helmet on. It's crazy. I was shocked, too. You know, like, how hard did he kick me, man? I don't know. But anyway. I guess it's over to me now, Jack. Um, so is. you guys eventually uh, get let go from the WWE. First of all, how did that feel to know that that period of time, you know, your career was over in that company? Um, well, nobody is, I, I don't think nobody is really prepared for it and uh, nobody wanted to get let go but it's it's inevitable you know when to every beginning there's an end um but there's always there was always that hope of maybe if i keep doing something i can come back or whatever but um i was actually i was shocked uh i came home here's here's the story about my phone call i came home my um i was home for a funeral uh my grandma or was my, i think it was my grandpa my grandpa had passed away so i came home for the funeral and um it was maybe a day before the funeral or something like that and i'm driving pulled out of my my dad's driveway and was going to town to do something and my phone rings i'm like oh it's it's connecticut so i answer the phone and uh, it's johnny ace he made the phone calls uh, johnny laurinitis made the phone calls to you know release people and uh, he goes hey doug johnny how you doing I go, hey, hey, Johnny, uh, you know, doing okay, man. You know, I'm just back, came back home. I, you know, my, I'm here for my funeral for my my grandfather. He goes, oh, oh god, oh god. Oh, no. And then he just cut. He goes, um, we're gonna have to let you go. <laughs> and it, oh he my just god. Straight to it. He didn't say anything. And I was like, I waited. It was a, like an uncomfortable 10, 15 second pause. And I go, is this a rib? This is a rib, right? <laughs> And then we had a, had the conversation because I had always thought that if you were a good worker, which you know I thought I was, you would always have a job, and that is true. You just may not always have a job in a company that you currently work for. So that was that was how I got my uh, my release phone call, and it, it was it was it was pretty uh, unexpected. But the next day, the very next day. On my uh, grandfather's funeral, Jim Cornette calls because he was with TNA at the time. He says, "Hey, would your non-compete up?" <laughs> and I go, uh, "I guess it's up." Was it? I guess three months. I think he had a three-month non-compete clause. Three months from yes yesterday, so it's whatever. He goes, "Okay, I'm going to work try to get you guys at TNA." Kind of phone up. I was like, "Awesome." Oh, okay. All right, <laughs> thumbs up. Cool. So, uh, cool. Tra transitions. All it was. 
Oh, that's great, man. It's great that your friend Jim was immediately there to be there for you. And, and as soon as you get the bad news, he's like, okay, I'm going to help my friend out. Absolutely. He, he, he had just been waiting for us to get released anyway. He, he knew it was going to, I think he knew it was going to be uh, just a matter of time because we, we, because, you know, they'd split us up and he's, he's seen where it was going and he, he knew it was just going to be a matter of time. As soon as it happened, he got the word and he called us up, said, TNA, come, come, you're coming to TNA. Okay. And then that's where we're headed next in the interview, bro. Uh, you know, 2007, you come into feud with uh, formerly known as the New Age Outlaws, now known as the Voodoo Kin Mafia. Uh, you're working with Christy Hemi as well, who is just oh, amazingly gorgeous. Um, what was it like working with those guys, uh, you know, coming over there, uh, working with uh, Lance Hoyt at the time as well? Um, yeah, tell me about the, the TNA experience from the get-go. Guys keep drinking them beers, make me thirsty. And it's only what? It's only twelve here. I'm on the red wine now, so went from wine, beer to wine. That's a that's a headache for tomorrow. That's a oh, I'm looking experience. forward to it. I had to do it, man. I had to do it. Sometimes you know you gotta let your colors show. I'm, I'm having fun. I'm having fun. So it's great. nothing wrong with that, man. I have my coffee here. Um, so the atmosphere with T from TNA to WWE, it was different. It was totally different. It was, it was a lot smaller. It seemed like people were happy. Everybody were, was there wanting to uh, help a new company grow and try and be competition. Um, everybody welcomed you with open arms. Nobody was, you know, scared of losing their spot or anything like that. And uh, there was no, at least from what I saw, no, no, uh, politicking to keep somebody down or not do this, not do that. And uh, working with a lot of the guys over Lance Hoyt, working with Lance Hoyt was great. He's a great guy, man. One of the best. Christy Hemi was uh, bubbly and, you know, she, she was fun to work with. Easy to get along with, super easy to get along with. Um, and then we worked with uh, the New Age Outlaws, I think. Uh, they were called the, the James Gang, I think. Kip and uh, uh, Road Dog, Billy yep. Gunn, Road Dog. And uh, of course, we worked with a lot of the other guys um, up there too, here and there. And uh, we just, uh, I really don't know what happened. Um, we just didn't fit the mold, I guess. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know what happened. Never asked any questions or anything like that. I know that uh, <laughs> Danny missed his, uh, missed his flight once and, or, we didn't know that we were getting tickets. He didn't get his flight information and supposedly he was supposed to be there for TV and we were going to be, we had a segment on, I call him, Danny, we have a segment. <laughs> I think he lived in uh, Indianapolis at the time. So he couldn't just, you know, drive down to Orlando cause he used to live in Jacksonville. Um, so that kind of was a strike against us. Um, and I think Jeff Jarrett, he was running the show then, kind of wanted us to look more like, look like a tag team. Uh, we first got there, Vince Russo had came up to us and said, I see you guys as like a demolition, put face paint on, wear a mask or something like that. And me and Danny were like, really? <laughs> we were kind of hoping to not be the Basham brothers again, but hey, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you've got recognition with the face. Everyone knows who the Basham brothers are at this point. You've right. been on just off WWE TV. 
Yeah, I think we may have rubbed Vince Russo wrong there, but, you know, we didn't care. I didn't care, you know. Uh, Jim Cornette was there, and he was going to, you know, I was thinking he's going to take care of us. But, you know, Dan, again, no win to, no win to say, no win to, uh, to win. Yeah. Um, but then after we went through all that, and then they were going to let us go. We, only, we were only there for three months. We just didn't make the cut. Uh, they were going to keep send Danny home, and they, they gave me a, uh, a singles tryout. I had a match with Jerry Lynn. I don't think it aired because what had happened is there was a spot we did where he did a flying head scissors, and I Jerry Lynn was going to go over. It was my try, my singles tryout, you know, and I, all I had to do was go out there and have a good match, and I would have, I would have made it. But uh, I flew out of the ring in the back of my head, right there where your skull meets your there's like that little groove in there. Yeah, the groove. Yeah. There's a new nerve, the olfactory nerve or something right there. That's the judo chop nerve that you can, if somebody hits okay. you, they can actually, can actually kill you, you know, if you hit it hard enough to knock you out. That hit perfectly on the steps and it totally shut the lights off, man. I was out, out, out cold laying there. And then uh, I finally, I guess, I guess if you hit that nerve, it, it, it paralyzes you. So I, I, I kind of, was laying there and I opened my eyes and I was looking around, but I wasn't breathing. And then all of a sudden <clears throat> I started breathing. So I have no idea how long I wasn't breathing or I was out. So then the referee comes down. So it hadn't been very long because the referee just came out of the, out of the ring and he's like, dude, dude, you okay? And I went to go try to get up. And I went, oh my God, I can't move. And the referee goes, what? I said, I can't move. And the referee's like, oh, and Shit. then all, all, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's like the light switch switch flipped, and I just I jumped up, and I was just up. And then you know when you're knocked out, how you'll see somebody, your arms will be straight, and your hands will be kind of you know like that. My arms are straight, kind of like that, looking around, and I'm just trying to come to, and uh, I grab the back of my head. I'm like, holy crap, my back of my head hurts. So I slide back into the ring, and I, I'm like, where am I? First of all, I ask the referee, where am I? And the referee's like, oh, 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 oh. So I slide back in, and I'm trying to get it together. I look over and see Jerry, and I'm trying to relate to the ref. I have no idea what I'm doing. And the referee wow. just goes, he shakes his head and goes like that, and they, they ring the bell. Jerry gets out and walks out, and then I'm just standing there. I'm like, where am I? And finally, I walk, walk to the back and go to the back, and everybody's like, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, it's, I'm starting to come to more and more and more. It's starting. I'm starting to gather my bearings, and so they take me uh, back and set me on a table and say, "Just lay there and rest for a little bit." And so I lay there and rest for a little bit, and finally come come to. And then the back of my head looked like a pack of hot dogs, you know. So I went to the doctor the next day when I got home. The doc get checked out. The doc says, "Do you know how lucky you are?" And I'm like, "I'm still here, so I guess I'm pretty lucky." He goes, "Yeah, you hit that nerve." You, you can die. I was like, okay. Doc. Lucky. Thank you, Doc. So that right there was the, the TNA didn't didn't sign me or bring me back after that. Right. Jeez. Fucking hell, man. That's, I never knew that. That's insane. Yeah. My gosh. Crazy. Fucking. Jesus. <laughs> Imagine me when the doc said, you could have died. I'm like, huh? <laughs> could have died. Far out. Um, reality. At Victory Road, Basham and Dimaggio were defeated by Voodoo Kin Mafia and then they left the company. And that's the story that's fucking behind that. That's insane. That, 
Well, the, the that, that pretty much out. we flew in. We're supposed to fly in the next week, and Danny didn't get his information, or so he said he didn't get his information. Right. So it looked like Danny no showed, and then that was Jeff Jarrett said, "You're done." Damn. All right. Um, speaking of Danny, your last match with Danny's team was on April 26, 2008. Uh, and you were working uh, at JCW for the Insane Clown Posse. Um, so what was it like working for them? And, and how did you re react when Danny told you that he wanted to retire? Uh, working with J the JCW and all that, that was, that was just pure fun. That was just go out there and have a good time. You know, these guys out there, just a bunch of guys wanting to have fun and wrestle and, and, you know, make a little, make a little bit of money and put some stuff out there on the internet for people to watch. And they brought me and Danny and, uh, uh, be, uh, the bruisers, you know, be, beat people up. That's what they wanted us to do, which we, we did. We tried to do it workingly and, and working with the, uh, uh, ISP. They, they were a good group of guys, man. Just, I mean, uh, polite, uh, professional and uh in ring work and stuff and they were very very uh, thankful and uh, it's good i like working with them I'd, I'd do it again well not now but you know i agree yeah. to do it again if they ever if they ever wanted us to and then uh, they made this little videos for us and all this other stuff um when danny said he was done i said well but i said um when he's decided he said he was gonna hang it up i said you know i i'm probably not going to be far behind you because i'm just kind of I'm losing. I'm not. I don't have it here anymore. I'm losing it. But the one thing uh, I want to do, I want to. I want to travel the world before I finally hang them up and go get a, you know, uh, assimilate back into normal society, which was, other than looking down at uh, uh, Stephanie's boobs, was probably the hardest, the other hardest thing in my life to do. So when he he finally hung it up and quit, I got a, a agent and started getting bookings uh around the world and did that for about did that for about a year year and a half and then uh the money started to go this way the travel was getting more brutal the airlines and flying and riding trains and in cars on buses and stuff like that you know i just said you know i'm, I'm done i'm gonna hang it up and that was in uh, 2008 i think also 2009, I think, uh, 2009 it was yeah. yeah um uh over to you jack it gets like that, man. I can imagine after so many years. Like, like, honestly, just... like, just to chime in quickly, sorry. Like, yeah. uh, I, I, I sing in a rock and roll band and um, being in Perth, Western Australia, only in the last, like, few weeks, I've come to terms with the fact that this big dream that I had is just not going to happen. And I'm going to have to come to terms with the fact that the dream I had is, is just off the cards and I have to figure out something else to do with my life. And um, it's been very upsetting for me especially the last few days, realizing but, that. It, you know, and you can too, I'm sure. I've lived, uh, I had a career in wrestling and lived a life in wrestling that a hundred thousand other guys wish and hope and dream to yeah. do. I, not, I, I loved it. It was the greatest, greatest point in my life. But uh, assimilating back into normal society was tough. It was tough. It was real tough. Can imagine. Um, sorry, back to you, Jack. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> no, so in the fall of this year, you became the advanced wrestling instructor for the Al Snow Wrestling Academy in uh, Louisville. So, um, working with Al Snow, we've had him on the show before. He is a incredible guy. He's uh, he actually taught me a new asshole for um, the way we worded <laughs> the questions, but but only only in the most like 
educational uh, way so you could teach us. And I can tell you right now, we weren't, we learned so much off him just from doing something like this. Um, so I can imagine just working alongside, uh, alongside him would be an awesome experience. So how has been the experience working at the Arsenal Wrestling Academy so far? So far, uh, it's been great. I've known Al, I've known Al for, man, uh, I, 20 years, probably 15, 20 years. I've known Al and he's been affiliated with OBW and, uh, seeing him on, on the road and, and actually seeing him overseas, running into him, not knowing he was there and asking him, geez, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, Doug, probably same thing you're doing here. I'm like, <laughs> I'm question hug. Nice to see you and sit and talk. But, um, I have only been back, uh, with affiliate, um, affiliated with OBW for maybe we'll say two months now. Um, and the reason I've been away for so long, uh, whenever I decided to hang my boots up and quit wrestling in 2009 and say, I'm done because wrestling is, is like, um, and Carl, you can probably, um, relate with your, your music wrestling was, was like a, was like a, that was my drug. That was my drug of choice. And I was addicted to it. I loved wrestling. I loved the feeling of the high it gave me whenever I was performing and making people cheer or making them boo. Uh, just the whole ball of wax of what performing as a professional wrestler, a sports entertainer um, was like. That was a feeling that you just, I don't think there's another drug out there that could give you the same feeling. So that was... Um, it was hard for me to give up. And the only way I could rehab myself, so to speak, was just cut wrestling out and not do anything and not be around it at all. So I, I totally shut the door on that um, part of my career. My part of my life was over because I had to concentrate and uh, come start a new career. And I got yeah. into uh, back into the, because originally I wanted to be a doctor. So I got back into the medical, uh, medical field in part of it with medical sales because you can you know do well in medical sales if you have a career or if you may have a good career in medical sales and make, make good money have a good living so i had to concentrate on that put all my effort into that and not have anything to do with wrestling or it wouldn't have worked i would have been only given in half half the effort it had to be 100 percent or nothing to be successful so i did that and then um ran into a guy who opened a restaurant over here close by my house, opened a restaurant. And uh, every now and then I will get fan mail and they'll send me pictures or uh, trading cards and ask me to sign them and, and write me a letter and I'll, I'll, I'll sign the pictures and I'll send them back, you know, because if they, if somebody's going to take the time to look me up, send me the stuff and write me a letter, I'm going to take the time to uh, sign, sign what they want signed and send it back to them. So I had a, there was an army vet had sent me uh, a big uh, envelope and wrote me a letter. And uh, I'd, if, if he ever gets you, if he's ever gets to listen to this or hear this, it'd be great. And thank you. Thank you for your service. But uh, he said it helped him. What he's doing is collecting and, and it helped him with his PTSD. Um, Post-traumatic. Did I say that right? PTSD. PTSD. Yep, that's it. Yep. Yeah. Um, that's, Lots of shots to the head, but it, it, it helped him. He collected and that's what he did. And he wrote me a letter and I wrote it, actually wrote him a letter back and sent him the pictures back, stuff like that. And I was showing these pictures to uh, the, the guy because it, it's a, 
it's, it's a restaurant, but it's got like a bar you can go and sit at. And I've become really good friends with a lot of the staff there and the, the bartenders that work there and had my mail because it was shipped to my dad's house, not my house. So I went up and got it and came there to go eat. Was looking through these pictures and say, hey, man, check this out. And, you know, showing a guy the pictures. He wanted to see them. And as I was doing that, the owner of the restaurant walked by and said, hey, um, hey I'm Greg. He introduced, I'm Greg, the owner of the place here. And, uh, you know, I took those pictures and I went, what? what? Hold on. You, you took these pictures? And then he explained, he explained this story. And I went, oh, hey, yeah, that's right. He used to take pictures of OBW back when I was the machine wow. back there. Cause he, he's like to do, everybody has a hobby. He did it as a hobby and would be a freelance picture, uh, freelance uh, photographer. And then he moved on eventually worked for WWE a little bit. So that's how that, and then he and I met there and we've, we've become really good friends ever since we go golfing, you know, we, we go eat, have a, have a beer or something at uh, his restaurant. And then um, he asked that he had all these pictures and didn't know if you know, Danny Davis or Jim Cornette or Al Snow or somebody would uh, want these pictures. So I, I had Al's number. I called him up and asked if I could come see him uh, at the TV show. And, and at the time they were, the COVID had hit and everything was shut down. So they were having to have a show because they're based out of Louisville, Kentucky. And there was an arena over here in Indiana. Indiana had uh, looser guidelines, I guess he had to follow. So he was over here in, uh, in, in Indiana. I went to the show and the biggest mistake of my life. I got to the show and it's just, that's like doing this. Oh. <laughs> and then uh talked to al about the pictures and then said hey man and then started talking to al more come to more shows come to more shows come to more shows and then finally talked to him he didn't ask me at all to do any of this i asked him if i could do this and i, I guess al uh, had enough confidence in uh, my ability and what i know to come on board at the school and uh help agent matches for ovw tv and also um, one day, one day a week, I do training. I'm a, I'm a trainer at the school for, for an advanced class for guys that come there and want to uh, hone their skills, learn more from everything from ring entrance to promos to wrestling to fin it's everything. I'm teaching these guys everything that I know. So it uh, feels good that Al has that confidence in me that I, can, I would be teaching the same thing that, that you know, Al, if you see as the Al Snow, I'm wearing this for him. Awesome. Uh, School Wrestling Academy, OVW. And uh, I don't know what your next question will be, but I'm just going to ramble on. But OVW has changed. It's the same, but it's changed so much. It's, it's sorry, Danny Davis. It's, it's better. It's better now. The TV production, the, the product, the people they're putting out there, um, the how many television stations that they're on now. They're, they are now, I don't know, can you guys get um, OVW TV there in, in Australia? We can't, but uh, I am a member of a a uh, forum where I can download the shows uh, for free. So, um, OVW Overdrive, right? Right, Overdrive, and then just the actual live TV show. You know, they they just recently they're on Amazon Amazon Fire and Roku TV, so you can get it on Amazon Prime and, and Apple TV. They're on the Gladiator Sports Network. Um, they're just now starting to get to where they're worldwide, um, now and in millions of homes now around the world. Um, if you go to ovwrestling.com, the website there, there's a link there where you can get on ovwrestlingnetwork.com, I believe. Is that what you're on? 
Uh, yeah, that's something that I can get on, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, to all your listeners and stuff like that, if they want to catch OVW TV, um, I know their Overdrive is on YouTube. You can watch it on YouTube, catch yeah. some of the episodes. And it's like the rec most recent episode was just filmed like that Tuesday. Um, the live TV show, I think you got to get on uh, whenever it's airing. Um, and I know that they're we're working on getting on more networks around you know, worldwide. I was trying to get a, a hold of Al. Uh, I, I forgot to get a hold of him. And I was trying to get a hold of him this morning to see if what TV station or, or they, we could get on there in Australia so some of your listeners could catch it. But um, maybe I could email you that and you could put it on your show uh, whenever I find that out. Sure, man. Absolutely. Yeah. We'd love to help. That's uh, kind of kind of where I'm kind of where I'm at right now. You know, I'm really enjoying uh, the other side of wrestling now, where I'm on, on you know behind the scenes, helping guys with their matches, aging matches, helping train because uh, this old body, man, I don't think it can ever get back in the ring again. If that was going to be a future question, because I've got a, I've got a bad neck, I've got a bad hip, got a bad lower back, and it's just from all the bumps and everything from wrestling. It's things that I didn't think about when I was younger what I'm going to be facing when I'm older, but uh, giving back, giving back some of my career and what I know to some of these younger guys who are hungry and want, and want to make a living and have a career doing this. And if you watch OVW TV, there are a lot of guys there and ladies that uh, have a very bright future ahead of them. Awesome. Man. Interesting, man. I have to catch some of that, man. Um, I, mean, I want to some old OVW stuff too. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to sink my teeth into some of this stuff. I'm going to get on YouTube and go down the rabbit hole, I think. Cause... I've been Dude, looking for uh, an alternative for so long. So, Akiana Classics, you'll find a lot of uh, old OVW stuff from the old Davis Arena to the new Davis Arena. You'll be surprised. And uh, a lot of Jim Cornette wrote. And uh, I, I've been going back watching a lot of it too and seeing how, you know, storylines and how. Of course, I've been watching myself, how I progressed as a worker, how, uh, not horrible, but how much better I got over the years, <laughs> promos, wrestling and everything. Cool, man. Awesome. Definitely going to um, check it out. Yeah. So um, obviously we've got one last segment and one last question before we uh, wrap all this whole thing up. Uh, we want to be super respectful of your time, but it's been so fucking awesome. So uh, it's fantastic. Thank you, what is one thing you wish you could have accomplished during your career that you uh, did not get to uh, during that whole time? I know that could be a very broad question, but uh, yeah, is there anything at all uh, that you could have accomplished that you uh, just- Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I wish I would have had uh, a singles career in the WWE. Yeah, man. Just to at least give them the chance. I mean, we've spoken to several people on the show where they've- spoken about just not being able to be given that proper proper chance being given you the opportunity to be sink your teeth into something and yeah. i just think it's like uh carl you said it's you know to alan funk you know you gave him that spiel where you just said it's so unfair yeah well i think i was given the chance i just didn't seize the moment so you know i i own i own that i was given the opportunity to come up with something uh, maybe I should have been a little bit more hands-on and said, no, 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 I'm not doing that. This is how I want to do it. And then going out and performing it uh, just didn't resonate with the boss. And uh, so I'm not going to say I wasn't given a chance, but if I had it all to do over again, I would have definitely done a few things different. 
but I do wish I would have had a singles career in WWE. Well, dude, you're, you're still memorable. I haven't forgotten you. I mean, I knew who you were when I was fucking seven years old. So there's something for you. <laughs> you're seven, I... so you're, you're, like, you're like 39 now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wish. And how could I forget you, Doug? How could I forget you? Oh, man, um, that picture you sent, uh, and I, I didn't, I don't remember that. I don't remember that at all. I'm sorry. I don't. That's but I okay. Was like, Wait a gym, or where were we? Yeah, it was, I, inside the, uh, it was inside the lobby of the casino uh, where you guys were staying at the hotel there um, because you were performing at the Burswood Dome, I believe, which was like, you know, connected to the casino, essentially. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I was going to tell this story after this last segment that I was going to do, but... um. So like me and my friends, teenagers, pimples, skinny, <laughs> all the things that don't uh, happen anymore. Um, and we were like just, just hanging out in the lobby all day, hoping to meet someone, hoping to meet someone. And you were the first one that came down and you stood with us for like 15 minutes. You answered all of our dumb questions and you've sat here tonight and answered all of my dumb questions. Um, They're not dumb, buddy. <laughs> but it, it really meant a lot to us at the time. And after that, it was like Doug Basham is our favorite wrestler. Doug Basham is the best guy. Every time Doug was on TV, that's our friend, Doug. That's our friend, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> so it really meant a lot to me that you, you stood with, you know, three, four pimply faced teenagers and gave us the time of day. You know, it, it's stories like that. And, and like you said earlier in your uh, emails to me, it's, it's come full circle. It's come back around and it, it's always one of the, one of the things that I, I uh, it makes me feel good inside and, and warms my heart, brings a smile to my face is when I can uh, bring a smile to somebody's face also. And um, just, just actually just two weeks ago, two weeks ago, and I've, I could send this video to, if you want to see it. Um, my, I got a buddy who in the medical field was talking to uh, a lady in the hospitals because in the medical field now over here, I can't get into hospitals. I can't get into doctor's offices. They've just kind of shut everything down because of COVID. Probably same way over there, I'm sure, or down there, yeah. in the, down there, down under. Um, so it's really tough. So a buddy of mine uh, got me into uh, see some of the people in the hospital, but how he did it was he said, yeah, I got a buddy. They were talking about wrestling that her son was, was a huge wrestling fan and all that. And then he said that, uh, Oh, one of my buddies is used to be a professional wrestler. I don't know, Doug Basham. She goes, and I, I, I was shocked when she said this. She said, well, my son knows the Basham. He loves the Basham brothers. Would he be able to get a picture or something like that? So uh, Steve, Steve called me up and said, absolutely, man, I'll do. I'll tell you what I'll do. And let's get me into the hospital to see her. So, so I, had, I had ulterior motive there, right? To see her, I'll hand a picture and sign it. And we'll take pictures and, and maybe try and send a video to her son. So I got in there, handed her picture. She was shocked. Oh my God. And uh, she said she would video her, giving her son the, the picture. And uh, it, it, she sent me, or sent me the video. And uh, when he, he, he was sitting there playing, I think he was playing a wrestling video game. And they walked into her and her husband walked into his room and said, Hey, um, Taylor, or uh, Carter. Carter, see my memory. Carter got something for you, and they had, I had it in a uh, like one of those uh, envelopes like this here. You know those Manila envelopes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Had it in one of those, and uh, she handed it to him, and he opened it, and it was when he opened it, it was still face down, 
And as he walked over, he had like a WWE, one of those plastic WWE belts on the floor. So this kid was a huge, huge wrestling fan. And when he opened it up, he goes, he saw it was a picture of the Basham brothers and me and Danny. He goes, no way, the Basham brothers. I love the Basham brothers. <laughs> oh man, thank you. He was like all happy and everything. And she sent that video. And not that I'm, you know, I'm not a big softy or anything like that, but uh, I'm not, I'm man enough to say it actually brought a tear of joy to my eye when I saw that, that I could make that little guy that happy. So yeah. that was like, if I had a highlight in my career, that would be, more, that's one of my best highlights in my career right there. Making that, and he's only, I think he's nine, he was nine years old and he knew who the Basham brothers were. He wasn't even, even thought about that. <laughs> yeah. So pretty awesome. So I can do something like that, man. It makes me feel good. Glad. That's Absolutely. Awesome. And I think I, I saw a tweet that Mark Murray put up the other day where he said, you know, sometimes maybe only five minutes of your time can mean the world to somebody else. And um, Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And, and, and that those few minutes of your time that you gave us meant the world to us. And, and I also want to give a shout out to Johnny the Bull, Stan Bowley, <laughs> who also did the same thing and, and took some time with us. And we even made an FBI sign. And when he made his entrance, we were along the ramp and he made sure to point at us and make us feel special. So it's the, that's, that's a magical thing about all that, you know, like so it's the little things that matter the most. Um, I, whenever I was out there, I always tried to talk to fans and stuff like that. John Cena, one of the reasons, I don't know if it's the reason, but one of the things he used to do, because we used to ride together. He would go out and sign autographs at the end of the show and people would be lined up by the gate when all the wrestlers come out. He would go over and sign. I mean, I'd be like, God, I don't know if I want to ride with him anymore because, God, I want to leave, but I get it. Go, go get yourself over. Um, he, would, he would sign every autograph and there'd be hundreds of people out there and he'd, just, it, he'd, be, he'd be an hour and we'd just be sitting in a car waiting on him. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, I, I remember a story Kevin Nash told me you were hanging out with Hulk Hogan and, you know, looking at Hulk Hogan, you know, it's Hulk Hogan. He'd be like, God damn it. If that guy didn't sign every single person's for his signature, you'd be there for hours waiting for him to hurry up and be done so you can get on to the next thing. <laughs> Absolutely. And get on to the next town is what, what it is. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that's, that's what you got to do. Um, I'm, I got, you know, I'm a redneck, so I, uh, I, I like NASCAR, right? one of the things about me my dad told me a story about the king richard petty i don't know if you guys follow nascar or anything i've heard like of richard that. petty yeah yeah richard petty the king my dad told me back when richard petty was young and winning all the races he would stay after the the races and he would sign every autograph of hundreds and hundreds of people and i remembered that when i moved up and i kind of implemented some of that uh, whenever I would go out and see fans. Now I was a heel, so it was I had to. You know, I, I, did, I didn't go out and do what John Cena did, but uh, you know, like with you guys there, um, stop, see some some young guys, and talk to you for a little bit, and ask you to go on the show. Can't remember what we talked about. I couldn't could not even tell you. I, I don't remember, remember either. Can't remember <laughs> anything. But I, I always made a made a point to actually, you know, be be nice and be kind because there may be one day when I turn babyface and I'm gonna. I'm a singles guy and uh, you'll buy my merch. Exactly. <laughs> or, just or just remember me, man, and, and uh, cheer, cheer for me. That was it. Yeah. And I know, now I know why I know Richard Petty is because uh, 
uh, Kurt Hennig, the West Texas Regnicks, had the lyric, uh, I like NASCAR racing. Richard Petty is still the king. <laughs> ah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's the only way I would know. NASCAR is not something that's uh, very well known here in Australia, but um, probably not. <laughs> we, we, we got the uh, V8 supercars over here, which I'm sure will be something that you would love to watch. Uh, Bathurst uh, and all that the, stuff. The dra drag racing there. I watched some of that on uh, Mav TV. And don't, don't you guys have um, like a. Uh, uh, what do they call it? Like desert racing over there, where the uh, super trucks go through the desert and race. I've never ever heard of that, but that sounds. We've we've, we've got V eight supercars like your 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 Ford, your Holdens, and uh, they don't look like you know Formula One type cars and like you know big fucking tanks of a car. But uh, yeah, that, that's a big thing over here is these uh, V eight supercars. I'm sure you'd love to see that stuff. Drag uh, racing. Drag racing is pretty, pretty. It's pretty big here. Yeah. You, you know, I found out right two weeks ago. My dad, right, he's been fucking drag racing on his motorbikes for years. What? And I had no no fucking idea, right? And he he messaged me like three weeks ago <laughs> on a Wednesday on a Wednesday night, being like, "I'm going to Quinana fucking Speedway of a backlight." I'm like, "What are you going there for?" And he goes, "Drag racing." I'm like, "What are you racing?" He goes, "Yeah." I'm like, "Since fucking when?" Why wouldn't he ever bring that up in conversation? He never told me. But, <laughs> but this makes all the sense in the world because he's got that Akubra. Wait, oh, no, right. the Akubra's the hat. What's the fucking bike? <laughs> the Akubra's the hat, bro. Fuck. He didn't want you. He didn't want you. The name anyway, of the bike is Anyway. Anyway, look, next time we're on the show, Jack will figure out what the name of the car, uh, the, the bike is. No, the, we'll name the, name of the, bike, name of the bike is a Buell. The Buell. Buell. Okay. Yeah, Buell. All right, Doug, look, we've taken up enough of your time. Uh, this is the final segment. It's called Five Second Frenzy, and it's 10 quick fire questions. And essentially, it's just to get to know a little bit more about you and other things that you like. NASCAR. Wait, sorry. <laughs> I'd be sorry. <laughs> We're starting right now. Who was your favorite wrestler? Uh, Eddie Guerrero. Uh, Chris Benoit. And I was a super huge fan of Razor Ramon. Scott Hall. He's actually, Razor is my favorite. When I did wrestling, my move set was essentially Razor Ramon's move set. Um, your favorite opponent over the years? Uh, probably Eddie, uh, Chris Benoit was my favorite opponent. I'm going to watch that match after this. I didn't get to watch the whole match. I just got to watch the segment building up to it, but I'm definitely watching that. Um, There's a couple of them you can watch with Chris Benoit, actually. Oh, cool. WWE and WWE. Ah, oh, excellent. Um, so favorite match, would it be Benoit? Favorite match, no, 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 no. Favorite match was the first time we won WWE titles. Excellent. Of all time. Because <laughs> check that box. Hell yeah. Uh, your favorite TV show? America's Got Talent. <laughs> oh, see. Doug. Doug, I'm, I'm, I'm very disappointed. Oh, hang on, hang on. How about Got Talent? Because I watch Australia's Got Talent. I watch Britain's Got Talent, oh, really? America's Got Talent, Asia's Got Talent. I love it, man. I love it that these people, I know it's rapid fire, but all these people have a dream and yeah. they're stepping up on a, on, a, on a platform to try and get there and they're letting it all hang out. So uh, kudos. I, I like that, man. It's, it's awesome. No, that's cool, man. I just like my favorite show is The Sopranos. So um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your favorite film, Doug? Film. Uh, <laughs> Ace Ventura. 
when nature when nature calls. Oh, it's brilliant, man! I love that. The movie. second one. Yeah, it's way better than the first. I love it. Bumblebee tuna. Bumblebee tuna. <laughs> Everybody loves the slinky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, your favorite food? Pizza. Man, you know what? We always get either steak or pizza from wrestlers. Jack, have you noticed that? I noticed that. You said that earlier today to Cracker Jack as well. Yeah, because he said steak and now Doug said pizza. I'm pretty sure Sin Bodhi said pizza. By the way, Doug, Sin Bodhi said to say that, um, say hello to that sexy motherfucker for me. <laughs> as a Matt, you know, Sin Bodhi's awesome, man. He was just in OVW uh, last yeah. week. We hung out a little bit. and hang out. He, He's a great guy, man. Great, oh. great, great, great guy. I met never, him. Never got uh, his due, man. Never got his due. I hope he does get it someday. I, I yeah, honestly, that little itty bitty. That I little itty bitty was, run. Yeah. I thought Kazani was such an awesome character and such a cool name too. I just don't think they knew what to do with it. You know, they just didn't know what they were doing. I he, think it was, o- it was over their head. It was over their yeah. head, I think, is what it was. They didn't know. It's like, it's like Bray Wyatt. They, they can't write to the character because the character and the performer is better and more smart than them. So, <laughs> Well, I met Simbo D through uh, Gail, obviously, when, when we were, were dating, so... Right. He's Canadian. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Back to Five Second Frenzy. Your favorite Sorry, place man. to eat on the road. It's okay. My favorite place to eat on the road. Uh, it yeah. was. Uh, it was anywhere you can get like steak or grilled chicken. I, I don't, you know, like mainly a, a chain. Anywhere you can get, obviously, a steak for protein. That was it. Yep. Oh yeah. I didn't, I didn't you, have a favorite favorite. Your favorite alcoholic beverage. Beer. Yeah, light I'm beer. the same. Light, light, light beer. Big beer, uh, man. I, 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 I'm, big, I'm big on beer too, but obviously tonight I'm on the red wine because it's a bit cold here. It's supposed to be summer. It's a bit cold and the red wine warms me up. It's just just like you've warmed me up, Doug. It's uh... a... <laughs> Doug, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, your favorite female body part. And I know it can't be Stephanie McMahon's breasts because you never actually looked at them, so... Oh, no. The bootay. Yes, nice. just like Bob Holly, bro. Bob Holly like the bootay. The bootay, because you can buy, you can buy these. And I'm like, now you can buy that, but if you got one of those, you're either gifted or you work squats. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's, that's it. why I'm a big fan of Mandy Rose. Um, oh, my girl, my girl, <laughs> my girl, that my girl. She's got a booty, and I'm, I'm glad she does. <laughs> um, your favorite curse word is the final one of tonight's five second frenzy, Doug. I know you haven't sworn tonight. You've you've oh, you've leaped yourself, but probably the F word. It just feels good. It makes you, when you say it, it, just it's a nice, good stress release. It, it's a popular say, one. All the time. Yeah, I don't it's say it all the time. It's a popular one. <laughs> I got to be pretty mad, you know. I, I try to keep a handle on my cursing. Fair enough. Well, uh, well, Doug, I just want to say thank you so much. And once we stop recording, I I want to ask you just two more questions, but just. Um, I want to say thank you so much for doing the show and big shout out to my boy, Mean Mike, uh, for helping me out with this. He has now become a friend of mine. We talk every single day since the interview. So Mean Mike, thank you so much for getting me in touch with Doug Basham. As soon as he said that he could get me an interview with you, I was like, oh, Mike, you have no idea. I met him when I was a teenager and blah, 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 blah. So uh, Doug, I hope you are incredibly proud of everything you accomplished in the business. Not many people can say that they did what you did. And uh, you've made me and Jack very happy that you've spoke to us today. And again, I just hope you're very proud of everything you accomplished. Thank you guys. You guys are very kind. Appreciate the kind words. And uh, it was my pleasure. 
Excellent. And Jack, guess what? We ended up going two and a half hours, bro. So I feel like I sent my fucking message, right? <laughs> you were like, just it's better that. not go two and a half hours, man, because I'm tired. Because we're, Doug, we're hungover. We went to our friend's engagement party last night, and this is the second interview of the day. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I forget. It's, it's um, what is it, One thirty at your old house? Are you 1.32 in the morning now. So, look. It may have gone two and a half hours and I may have said I didn't want to go two and a half hours, but we had a great time. It was so much fun. So again, Doug, thank you so much, my friend. You guys are welcome. And I could have kept on going just so, just, just so you know. Well, we'll bring you back on and we'll, 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 you know, we'll get even dive even deeper into your career. Uh, it's at work. Anytime, man, just let me know. I'll be more than glad to do it. Excellent. And, um, thank you everyone for watching the, podcast here 55 live on the wcwa network i'm california inferior alongside jack wallace and our new best friend in the whole wide world doug basham <laughs> and we will see you next time when we speak to none other than joe e legend aka just joe thank you very much and good night. Whoa, 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 whoa you mean just joe like no one else just yeah no, no not 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 yeah just joe right Roger not, that. Not, yeah not joe just joe just Joe. All right. we'll, we'll clear this up with him when we see him. All right, sick. <laughs> cool. He All himself right. and him. I. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everyone.